Hello, everybody. This episode of the KingCast is brought to you by Hex by Thomas Olda Hervelt. Uh, you might know this book. It came out in 2016, but Nightfire, an imprint of Tor Books, is releasing a brand new edition with a new cover from artist Sam Wolf Connolly. Uh, Hex was hailed by Stephen King, of interest to anybody listening to the show, obviously. Uh, Stephen King called it totally and brilliantly original. Hex takes place in the small town of Black Spring, haunted by a witch from the 1600s who still walks around with her eyes and mouth sewn shut. The, oh, you don't fucking like that at all. Yeah. I already don't like that imagery. No, boy, um, no. Everyone knows that if her eyes are open, the consequences will be too terrible to bear. The town elders have virtually quarantined the entire town with high-tech surveillance technology, but the teenagers in town have different ideas and share a video online that goes viral. In doing so, they send the town spiraling into dark medieval practices of the past. Keep an eye out for Echo, Thomas's next novel with Nightfire, dropping February 2022. And if you want to keep up with all of Nightfire's releases, you can sign up for their monthly newsletter and follow them on social media at Tor Nightfire on social and TorNightfire.com. And with that, I believe it's time for the Fango House ad. You guys know about this by now. It's been over 40 years and Fangoria is better than ever with each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away. Actually, I would like to give something away. The issue of Fangoria that's going to be arriving very shortly launches a new column that Eric and I are going to be trading off on that is KingCast related. So if you're a fan of this show and you'd like some writing from Eric and I, definitely subscribe. Head on over to Fangoria.com to learn more and to place that subscription order. While you're there, make sure to enter the promo code KingCast to save 25% off your yearly subscription. And I believe it's time to get on with this show, isn't it? Whoop, whoop. Hi. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. Our guest today is a New York Times bestselling writer of comic books whose full list of credits cannot possibly be contained within this intro. You'll know him from books like Sex Criminals, Adventure Man, November, Casanova, The Invincible Iron Man, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen and Hawkeye, which, as Marvel fans surely know by now, will serve as the inspiration for the upcoming Disney Plus show of the same name. He's an Eisner Award winning, Inkpot Award winning creator who also won the first ever Pan America Literary Award for Graphic Literature, which is a distinction he shares with our show's namesake. Today, he's here to talk to us about one of our absolute favorite Dark Tower books, Drawing of the Three. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Mr. Matt Fraction. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Oh, we are delighted to have you. I want to say this up front just so I don't feel like I'm keeping anything from you. We want to be honest with ourselves and our guests. I Matt, slept with your mother. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I am not, I'm, not a, uh, I'm not a big comic book reader. I appreciate the form and 
all of that. It's uh, I'm just not a big superhero guy, even though I see all the movies and, and whatnot. So my awareness of that industry is lower than some of my colleagues. But when I heard you wanted to be on the show, I am well familiar with your name because I know you are a big honking deal in the world of comic books. And the people that I talked to uh, about you or mentioned that you were coming on to do the show were so fucking hyped to hear you tackling this particular title. And uh, I'm just really excited that that you were interested in doing this and particularly for this title. This is going to be awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. First off, you guys, your podcast, especially, uh, uh, have been sort of, um, you know, my, one of, one of my pandemic parasocial relationships, you know, um, um, we were joking before we started recording that like, I can't wait to answer these questions, not to my empty car. <laughs> uh, but yeah. And then when, uh, uh, your friend and mine, Evan Narcisse, uh, mm-hmm. reminded, just sort of reminded me that, that he had been on, I was like, Oh, whoa, you, uh, I want to go get me on that show. <laughs> like, like, uh, um, his episode sort of every, is so good too he's, and he's the best evan is the best and and um i'm so glad that like <laughs> like fangoria is back and like that i can like share mm-hmm. it with my kids now <laughs> like, yeah oh, i remember when i was a young lad of 14 reading fangoria and gore zone yeah no, uh, but yeah so all every all the sort of you know that the, 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 there's a fangoria podcast network and of course there's a king cast and it's just like i'm so hyped and into it and um now as a as a parent of a of a of, of a kid who is super getting into this shit it's like uh uh this is just the best i'm, I'm thrilled i'm sorry your kid getting into horror or stephen king or both uh horror he's always been like a monster kid but now horror in the specific and i suspect um stephen king is not too far away yeah it always that's the exact progression i went to I was a, I was like a monster kid, and then I and then I started getting into horror slowly but surely, and then you know reading Stephen King, yeah. like bam, bam, bam in that yeah, order. And, so and being a comic guy, you know, I mean, and we'll you know we'll get into this when 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 we get. I guess I guess we're into the Stephen King origin story part of things now. But you know that sort of mid eighties. Uh, you know, creep show, and then like Bernie Wrightston doing Silver Bullet. There was a kind of overlap of Stephen King and comic books mm-hmm. was huge for me, and and I mm-hmm. and I think it actually was probably what led me to the Gunslinger, um, because it was illustrated. Yeah, uh, the version they had those Michael Whelan paintings, in, right? Um, uh, uh, the, the, this the edition uh-huh. that, uh, that I saw uh, that I that yeah. I purchased that sort of was released in the mass market. So something about it that kind of bridged that gap. Not like it was profusely illustrated, but that was the thing that of all the Stephen uh, why of all the Stephen King books was it Gunslinger that I looked at. It was oh this one has this is Michael Whelan art in it. That art kind of draw. I mean, listen, we'll we'll get into the Dark Tower here in a bit, but yeah, that that art being in there is something that drew me to the series, and that's. That that was the thing where I wasn't sure I even wanted to read Stephen King's Western because that's all I could you know exactly. picture think of it from the from the cover. Um, it, it was like flipping through that and and like seeing you seeing the illustrations, uh, going okay, well, you know, worst case I can read a chunk and then I'll get a pretty picture. <laughs> you know, it right. was one of those things for me. Yeah, because I, I started reading this when I was in middle school. I yeah, think so. I think that's, that's, yeah. that's, yeah, totally. Um, and, and yeah, on the surface, it is his Western and just below the surface, it's maybe a fantasy. It's not, 
if you come to Stephen King for you know blood and guts, it is not the blood and guts solution, right? Even the right. even the cover, like his name's not even in red. Come on, how how violent can it be? Uh, <laughs> it's you know in, in the long run, the whole series captures all kinds of genres. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, for me, that's yeah. that's part of the fun. Yeah, no doubt. We were just talking to somebody uh, yesterday or the day before, recording with him and and talking about how they had been turned off by the Dark Tower because it was kind of the first book is kind of a that crusty western sort of thing you know i'm like you should keep going dude because it's that's not what it's like throughout you're gonna get a taste of everything before the time this thing is said and done you're gonna get a romance you're gonna get a sci-fi novel you're gonna get uh horror horror. all kinds of shit fantasy western it's it's an amalgamation of of everything there's only there's no comedy dark tower book which i wish there was that would be fun but um Pretty much everything else is represented there. It's also very much a a book written by a young man. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a I can't remember the name for it, but those kind of books that are collections of like a, a patch up or something like that. I can't remember. It's an old kind of it's an archaic publishing term. But like, oh yeah, no, this first that first chapter was written by a twenty two year old. Right. Yeah, or, or however old it, you know, like it is, it is the work of a young man. It's it's a work of Stephen King who does not have his voice yet. Um, That's very true. Uh, this is where I, I like a, a project a lot of interpretation onto a man I know through interviews and his, you know, <laughs> b- public facing biography. But I think if this is his great work and his life's work that he started it, he started chasing Roland before he knew who Roland was. And it reads in that first book. It's, it's something mm, in the yeah. Damien Eccles uh, uh, episode of this, uh, uh, which everyone should go listen to if, if you don't care about spoilers and things. Um, but <laughs> he talks about that robotic, cold kind of Terminator-like thing of Roland in this first in in, in the first book in The mm-hmm. Gunslinger. And yeah, I I don't think King knew him yet, and I think King is chasing him as much as Roland is chasing the Man in Black. And sort of yeah. the more time he spends together, the more he kind of mm-hmm. resolves, you know, to the point where in wastelands he makes a joke and everyone isn't sure if he's joking or not you know yeah. like it becomes a thing where they where the other right. characters stop and like did he, did he just make a joke and yeah. i think that was and it you know and and like oh right he's like um he he's is thawing. human he's thawing yeah it's funny you mentioned that though uh i know we're just kind of diving right into it right up Fuck front it, we're, into the, it. we're into it man uh but it's funny you mentioned that because like king has said and like uh, through multiple times, but uh, he said in one of the afterwards, it might've even been a drawing of the three about um, returning to uh, the dark tower world. And he, he was saying at some point that like he's visited by all the characters at certain points, whenever he put, put dark tower away, you know, and worked on other things. And he said that it's like, and almost always, if I'm, vis- you know, somebody pops up in my mind, you know, a fictional, you know, mind version of one of these characters shows up and says, Hey, you should keep writing. It's Roland. And it's Roland there, like driving him to tell the story. You know, Dark Tower fans will know that that's something that he. Uh, it's I'm I'm stumbling because we agreed at the very top of this that we were going right. to be a little light on spoilers here. So right. uh, mm-hmm. maybe we should address that real quick before we dive headfirst into the drawing yeah. of the three, which is what we're here to talk about. Right. right. Uh, but if, but if, if you like me, yeah. listeners are a neophyte to the dark tower series, this is going to be spoiler free. Cause I haven't read, uh, I'm about to finish the third book in the series. So I can't ruin the ending for you. I haven't read it yet. And uh, my kind hosts have agreed to um, 
treat me with kid gloves accordingly. So yes, right. This is unlike this the is, other Dark Tower episodes where shit will get spoiled. This one, yes, I can only ruin oh, yeah. so much for you. This one will be special in that regard. Yeah, um, Matt, Matt told us beforehand that the uh, that he was just about to. You're about to wrap up the third book, right? So, yeah, I think yeah. Tonight, assuming so, you know, everything goes well. And that, like he and we are like, well, you know, you've listened to the show. Like, how have we not spoiled the shit out of this? Because we just assume anybody listening to a Dark Tower thing, uh, like a piece of it, has read the whole thing. And so we drop spoilers all the time. And uh, and Matt was just like, well, you know, I, I to be, I never said I finished every every one of those episodes. So yeah, this will be one of our rare Dark Tower episodes where we don't just like automatically talk about the ending of the, of the book like mm-hmm. right in front and I, and the, the, I the series point. yeah I, I, yeah. I will. I will make the point later too. I, I think if you read the first page of the Gunslinger, you know what the last page of the Dark Tower is going to say in some regard. Uh, and and you don't know that, Matt. You could be imagining I, that. You I don't, don't know. I might be. I might be. But I'm. But I'm. I'm willing to Karnak it. I'm willing to write it down <laughs> in an envelope and seal it. <laughs> Fair enough. So let's start. Yeah, let's start with your Stephen King origin story. Like when when did he first come onto your radar? Was it a book? Was it a movie? So I'm I'm 45 and I really can't recall a time without him in the my pop ether somehow mm-hmm. and that so much of his work kind of overlapped into comics whether it was the kind of EC language of creep show or you know or or the the the, the Bernie Wrightston Silver Bullet stuff you know so I was always I don't know exactly when or where he showed up in my head, but I know the first book of his, I know when I read it, the first book, of his, uh, I'm a writer, writers are liars and editors, right? So mm-hmm. the story I'm about to tell you is actually combining two stories, but I am telling the truth when I say that those two stories happened about four months apart. Okay. But the, the first books I ever stopped reading that I ever paid for with my own money and stopped reading was the two towers uh, uh i could not get through a uh, fellowship of the ring mm. was a slog and i think i got a couple hundred pages on a road trip with nothing else to read and i brought all three of the the lord of the rings books and i was so not enjoying uh the two towers mm. that i stopped reading it and have never gone back and i'm the guy in comics who has never read lord of the rings doesn't <laughs> like lord of the rings an elf gets onto a horse and i fall asleep <laughs> it, it is a it is a failure of my imagination and taste only, and I and and it is a thing that a lot of my friends have trouble with, but it is just not my shit at all. Right. And stuck then without something to read. The next time I was at a gas station on this trip, and there was a little spinner rack of of paperbacks, and I think I was eleven, maybe twelve. Um, there was a copy of Misery, and I bought Misery and read Misery cover to cover. Like to the point of holding up a flashlight, you know, as we were driving to wherever it was we were driving. And that was it. I was hooked from from then on was just uh, devoured everything I could find for, you know, the next five or six years easily. Have you kept up with King over the years or not? In so a, I stopped at a certain point for no reason other than just kind of tastes changing and the world changing and so much other things that I wanted to read and having no money and all, you know what I mean? So like I drifted away, but have checked back in periodically. Like um, I came back for the green mile because I loved that it was serialized. Right. 
when it was first published, you know, it came out, I think it was like a book every week or a book every two weeks. I can't remember. Maybe it was a month, but it was kind of like a comic, right? But it was sort of him in that Dickensian mode. When 11-22-63 came out, I read that because it, it's so fucking baller. Yeah, like, it is. Like, mm-hmm. like, listen, there's two time travel stories. You're either killing Hitler or saving Kennedy, right? That's it. Uh-huh. That's all <laughs> yeah. the time travel stories there are. And for him to like, yeah, I'm writing the time travel saving Kennedy story. That 101 kind of this is like I am. It's just so it was such a fucking flex. I was like, I got, I can't stand it. I got to read it. And then you know, I was like reading big books over like winter breaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, for for just kind of having some big thing you look around the house throughout the holidays. And a, a buddy of mine got cast in it. And uh, I loved it when I was a kid. I was like, oh, man, I wonder how that holds up. So I went back and read it and was startled to find that I remembered parts in advance. But Mm. as I started to read, I'd get a page or two into any given section and then would remember the entirety of what was about to follow in like incredibly crisp detail. Right. Phrases, sentence fragments still in my head. Which is what the characters in the book do, actually. (laughs) Right? Like throughout the whole book, it was all still in my head, right? Yeah. And then I was so kind of delighted by that experience. I thought I would, I wanted to read his kind of modern stuff and see sort of the the writer he had become, you know? And I was sort Mm -hmm. of aware of his uh, car accident. And I don't know. So I just started to read his recent stuff and have read. Um, there's, there's probably like some middle period work of his I'm, I haven't touched yet, but but I've read most of his modern stuff and most of everything up to, I don't know, probably um, Tommyknockers or right know, dark, uh, dark Half, I think. I think Dark Half was maybe the last of the kind of – that was about where I tagged out. I'm curious which your friends was cast in It. Uh, Bill Hader. No shit. Yeah. No spoilers, try- Bill Hader's in It Part 2. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they came yeah. out four years ago, Bill Hader was in that. We tried to get him on the show once, and he wasn't. He politely declined. But, uh, he, you know. He was very nice, though. Time- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I knew him a little bit through my uh, time working at Ain't It Cool News. Like, we ran, I ran into him a, a couple of times through, like, at film festivals and stuff. And he, like, once did a podcast where he cited one of my reviews and, like, named me by name. And that this is at a time, because we all use pen names. Right. On the site, you know, then there became this period where I, I started signing everything, my real name, because uh, I'm like, I don't need to be known as Quint for the rest of my life if I don't want to be, I guess. But, uh, uh, you know, that's kind of my nickname on the site. And like, sure. he, it was I remember it standing out to me because it was for Adventureland. I'd written a review of Adventureland. I guess he had just read it right before going on the podcast. And he like specifically called me out by name and was like very complimentary about the the thing. So like whenever we started this, I'm like, Oh, maybe he'll remember me. And, and I like, uh, got a hold of his like manager's contact info or something. And they essentially just said, it's like, Oh no, he does remember you. And he, he says that this sounds really cool, but he's going to politely pass right now or something. Yeah, and I went, Oh, so, so maybe, 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 yeah. When next we speak, I will uh, say this is actually pretty cool. Here's my, here's my thing. I think that he passed probably because, he assumed we wanted to talk about it and his mm. work in it. Chapter two. And if I were him, I'd be like, that movie was two years ago. I fucking did a billion interviews about this. Like, I don't yeah. need to do another one, you know, but 
you know, if uh, if you do happen to be talking to him and this comes up, he can come on and do whatever the fuck he wants. We'd love sure. to talk to him about any Stephen King movie. Uh, yeah, he's such a I'm such sure a goon anyway. Like this. Yeah. Would, it would, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let me. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll see. I'll see. I'll, I'll, see yeah. what I can. I'll pull some strings. Yeah. Hell yes. Um, How do you know him? You know, it's uh, there. Uh, friends of friends put us in contact during the last writer's strike. Um, oh, right on. SNL was dark, and he and Seth Myers were going crazy and looking for something to do and ended up doing a couple of projects at Marvel. And we were put together as kind of, let's help you figure out how to write comics and stuff, but ended up all, but getting on all of us, uh, me and, and, and Brian Bendis and, and um, Bill and Seth just got on great. Um, and like, I mean, Seth is such a, comic guy at least oh, i haven't been on twitter in a long time but like his twitter icon used to be a drawing of him that kevin mcguire did you know what i mean mm. yeah. um, which is which is pretty specific but yeah so we just kind of met through that and and just kind of became and remain have, have remained friends just uh, absolutely the guy you want him to be no, I imagine having trouble being in a room with that guy for an extended period of time because you'd just be laughing a lot. I did. I did uh, like stand up comedy for a very brief window, like many years ago and have like a, a, a comedy oriented background. And I know that like firsthand comedians aren't necessarily just doing their material while they're standing around in a room. But I've always heard that hater is just like a naturally funny person, you know, that he. Whatever room he's in, he's the funniest person in it, and you know you're just off to the races whenever that guy's around. So, like him and like Patton and Poshane and this kind of like oh right, it was it was like that wave of of people probably around our age of like oh right now the the the, right. the, the geeks have gotten in. It's it's our yeah. turn. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's like that. Like like at at, at any given moment, uh, Bill might be thinking about what you know, Deckard's gun from Blade Runner looks like <laughs> as, as much as he is how to land a joke or how to do an impression. You know what I mean? It's just that right. kind of, it's, it's super easy to just like, oh, Hey, Oh, Hey man. Hey, how's it going? Good. Hey, did you see the new Halloween trailer? And that's all you talk about for, you know, uh, um, it's like, yeah, great. One of us is what you're saying. And I, yeah, that's yeah. definitely the vibe I get from that dude. But yeah, you know, right. but right now, fuck Bill Hader. Let's move on to talking about some dark tower <laughs> shit. Well, that's not going to get him on your show, but I'll see what I can do. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We'll end yeah, that no, part yeah. out. But that was uh, no. That was, I'll, I'll cut. Yeah, I'll clip that audio and, and send it to you, and you can just send that that part to him. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck um, Bill Hader. So you've you've chosen uh, drawing of the three as the title right. you wanted to talk about. Right. Um, you've already mentioned that you you read the first, second, and most of the third book. Yeah. And yeah. as we've already covered, you know, we're going to be staying away from spoilers beyond that. Um, I guess the the simplest way into this is. Can you, would you mind giving us a brief overview of what happens in the gunslinger and now what happens in uh drawing of the three? Sure. And you can uh, paint in, in broad strokes if you want, because that, that, that is a kind of a Herculean task, especially trying to sum up what that first book is. So. Sure. Sure. There's, there's a man in black and he's fleeing across the desert and this gunslinger, he's following him. That's <laughs> book one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Um, um, That's yeah, basically so- true. Yes. That is that is sort of it. There is a there is a and a, as this uh, gunslinger is in pursuit of this man in black who might be a wizard or an assassin or a devil, we're never quite sure. Um, um, 
we sort of learn a little bit about the world that this book is taking place in. And in some moments, it looks like our own. Um, other times, it looks like the Old West. Other times, it looks like uh, neither. Um, and some kind of fantastic, never was kind of place. In the gunslinger's pursuit of the man in black, eventually, he encounters a child named Jake. And for a time, uh, he is joined in his pursuit uh, of the man in black by Jake, knowing full well that uh, uh, this this could be um, uh, fatal to the young boy. Um, however, the boy has memories of dying uh, already once in a, a New York City that sounds very much like our New York City and is in fact a New York City all any of us would recognize. But for a couple of um, geographic liberties uh, uh, Mr. King takes with it. Through this pursuit, the gunslinger is uh, forced to make a choice between letting Jake die a second time and catching the man in black. He decides to catch the man in black. And the two of them have a uh, palaver mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. in a, in a Golgotha of bones that uh, mm -hmm. ends with this man in black performing a kind of tarot reading uh, 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 for the gunslinger that sets the stage for what will be the second book in the series, the drawing of the three yes. in which more or less the gunslinger is told he is going to draw three cards. Um, and they are, Oh, I'm a bad fan now. I can't remember. What the prisoner. Called. The prisoner, right? The prisoner. Prisoner, lady uh, in shadows. The lady in shadow, and then death, but not for you, gunslinger. Indeed. And uh, um, and the gunslinger closes his eyes and wakes up, and it is 40 years later. The man in black is reduced to bones in front of him. The gunslinger is now visibly older. The gunslinger pries the jawbone off of the man in black skeleton uh, from his skull, <laughs> puts it in his pocket, as one does, and continues his journey, where we encounter him now. And that's, that's, that's the, the you know, 30,000 foot overview of, of book one. Right. Uh, and book two opens oh, on a beach. In broad terms, this one's about those tarot cards that he was given the reading of coming into play. Right. And this is, he is destined to on his journey to the dark tower, bring in a new group, a new quartet for him. Yeah. And we, we, we've heard about his old one when he was a kid, like learning the, the ropes is right. you know, being trained as this, you know, kind of knight of, of this era. Uh, yeah, gun, gun are, the kind of these like kind of lancers kind of knights, you know, there's a little bit of totally. there's a code. There's a training. He had friends. There were, we get these glimpses of um, what the world was like before it had moved on. Um, and this sort of kind of Royal court. And there's some kind of palace intrigue that the man in black was involved in with Roland's mother. And there were, betrayals amongst other gunslingers and you know there's this, this sort of whiff of intrigue and and uh, palace intrigue specifically that we're never quite clearly resolved but we know that right. uh the man in black manipulated things so that roland was going to be tested for worthiness as a gunslinger um before he was really ready yeah. uh, but through his ingeniousness and his cunning um roland survives uh, and it was just sort of the first of his group, his um, 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 cohort uh, uh, to to survive. And uh, this is, as you said, the word katet. This is one of these kind of uh, pieces of high speech, this kind of old world that that, that still exists. A sort of group of people fated to be together, referred to as a katet. And Roland is told he's going to basically assemble a mm -hmm. new katet, and he's on the beach, and he is immediately mutilated. We'll get to that in a minute, <laughs> and then. 
uh, discovers hovering over the beach a doorway with I don't know if it says the prisoner or if the card is over the door, but like somehow he recognizes through this door is his prisoner. Um, and you know, it is just a door. You look behind it, it's a door. But when he opens it, he enters the consciousness of, uh, of this character, like physically, mentally, psychically ride shotgun inside another person's mind as they're living their right. life. This is, uh, Eddie. Um, and Eddie is, uh, a, a junkie who is on a plane. Uh, a young Eddie Dean is a heroin addict with, uh, bags of cocaine, taped under his shirt on an airplane about to land at JFK where he's going to clear customs. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's a, that's a, just a great quantum leap episode. You know, right. Isn't it? Like, like, Oh boy. <laughs> and that's, oh, and that's boy. sort of the format for the entire book. It's him right. traveling up this beach, reaching a series of doorways where in each one he's entering the, the, you know, the mind and body of what is meant to be his, his crew on this mission to the dark tower. And, you know, each one of these people has serious problems. Yeah, you know, Eddie Dean is a junkie, and Lady in Shadows. You're you're meeting Odetta Holmes, who has a split personality and uh, is in a wheelchair. Yeah, and you know, which Beth is is yes. a fucking serial killer. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, and so, and this is this is what this is why this is the book we landed on. Um, uh, uh, for me to 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 reread is is that. In Roland's uh, experiences with Jack Mort, uh, uh, who is who is death, who is this uh, 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 was when I first read this book as a 14, 15 year old, there's a moment in the Jack Mort section that made me gasp out loud in shock. So much so that I got in trouble in class. You know what I mean? Like I was ah. reading instead of, but it was that kind of thing. I had a reaction that outed me as a... Um, as someone not doing the work I was supposed to be doing, but was reading mm. a Stephen King book under my desk. What was because it that made you gasp? The brick. I was going to mm. guess the brick. Yeah. I don't want to get too specific because I don't want to rob that moment from anyone else. But <laughs> sure. uh, Oh my God. It just. So, okay. All right. Let's get the, <laughs> let's get the fuck into it. Yeah. I, uh, I, 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 okay. If we're, if we're throwing open the floodgates, this is where I would like to start. Mm-hmm. I think that this particular installment of the dark tower is possibly the most entertaining overall. This book is structured like a fucking triple a blockbuster, you know, crowd pleaser movie. You're getting this weird science fiction shit where there's a beach with all these doors on it. You're going into different time periods and different worlds, experiencing the personalities of these, you know, horribly flawed characters, you know, who are who are finding the heroism within themselves along the way. And then when you get to that third door, it's like once Jack Mort comes into the picture and then you realize, like, who Jack Mort has killed in another world. And that ties back to the first book. You it all starts kind of clicking into place. This yeah. thing is like a Swiss watch the way it yeah. runs. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid and I read these books, you know, I read the first three books over and over and over and over again because there was that huge weight for the fourth right. book. And the second one is probably the one I've read. It's either that or the Wastelands. I've read those two the most out of this entire series. But I think that I think Drawing into the Three is my pick for the most entertaining of any of these books. It is just a fucking wild ass ride 
the gunslinger's bait in this book is the hook. This is the one that'll mm-hmm. like either if you if you finish strong of the three and you're like, I'm not sure if I'm like into this, then you're never going to be into it. Like this yeah. is this is the thing where you're either fucking in for the whole thing or you're not. This mm-hmm. is you know what I mean? It, and uh it's not challenging in the same way the first book is. Um I reread both both of these leading up to this uh this recording and uh I will say that the first book, I think we build up a lot of in our minds uh, after when you've had distance from it because uh, it gets kind of weird and metaphysical at the end. Right. Um, but it's actually a very straightforward book. Like uh, going back through it again, I was kind of surprised how much how much more I added the later convoluted stuff that the series gets into into this first book. You have to remember that King wrote this in chunks as being like a serialized yeah. Uh, thing it for, started, started uh, from in 1978. It was the first publication of it, and he started writing it even earlier. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think he he was a teenager. He was, he was 19, 19. Right? That's where 19 yeah. comes yeah. from. Yeah, it reads, it's stiff, it's episodic, it's very dry, and that it's really not until the end that that the Stephen King you would even begin to recognize can be heard. Yeah in its pages. It's also, the good news is it's pretty brisk. Like it's short. Yeah. I think it's the shortest of, of all of, you know, it's, oh, it's, for a, sure. it's, but it, it, like, I was surprised. I don't want to say it was a slog, but like it is very early work. And, and as such requires a kind of patience. You have to know that the good stuff. Yeah. And it's that, it's like, it's, um, you know, there are those people, when uh, Game of Thrones mm-hmm. was on, and be like, "Listen, mm-hmm. if you can just get through the first three seasons, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all, all it requires is thirty-eight hours of your life, and then, you know, <laughs> like, like it's a weird. I can understand why people would nope out of this just because it feels like, oh God, is it all like this? Because I, I don't know that I could stand, you know, five thousand pages of 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 a Stephen King that doesn't sound like Stephen King, right? That doesn't write right. like Stephen King, right?" Which is, uh, 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 so like, I, I get it. And it's, it's a thing to ask somebody, listen, if you just get through the first 300 pages, you're off to the races, but like, I'll tell you one better. Like, I think drawing of the, the drawing of the three is, you know, if, if, if it's the, if it's like diehard, it's the diehard that opens with John McClane tearing his feet up. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like that's the most shocking thing is this kind of impervious cold terminator. We've just watched literally choose to let a child fall to his death so as to accomplish his goal is immediately mutilated. <laughs> like the third page uh-huh. is a gunslinger that loses two fingers on his right hand. Like you ain't a gunslinger yeah. no more. Yeah. And like right off the bat, the whole, there's this whole ticking clock through this narrative uh, of, of this infectious disease, mm-hmm. you know, the sort of mutilated guy who's like, so not only is he having to do all this stuff, he's actively dying the entire span of mm-hmm. the book. Yeah. Which is right. this amazing complication. <laughs> right. It's a little bit like when you're like when a band puts out demos of a record, like it's some big anniversary, like Radiohead's about to do it. Right. Like uh, uh, with the, uh, with kid a and amnesiac and stuff. But like when a, when a band puts out like, Oh, these are even the earliest demos of the songs that became the things you love. It, it has that mm-hmm. feeling. Like it's such a young work. You can see the, the stuff that'll become the stuff, but it's just not there yet. So there's, there's a little bit of like, yeah, if you're a King fan, it's probably easier. If you're coming to this cold, like 
you know, if, if the plot, if, if the raw events of the plot in the world don't appeal to you, right. It's hard to say, just get through that first book. And then the first yeah. chapter of drawing of the three. And if you are not into it by the first chapter of drawing of the three, I get it. But like, yeah. Uh, okay. I, I, you are, you are dancing around a long running argument that Eric and I have had. Okay. It's basically a running bit at this point, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to tell it to you from the top, just bounce it off of you and see what you think. My position on all this and specifically what you're saying, I, I agree with it. And furthermore, when I came to the Dark Tower series, uh, I did not read the first book first. I read the second book first. <laughs> my, my mom, my mom had all the uh, all That's the Dark right. Tower or she did. She didn't have all the Dark Tower books. She had like a number of Stephen King books and she had. Drawing of the Three, which had the illustrations, which, like you, also pulled me in. And anytime I finished a King book, I would always come back to that spine and be like, tell me about this one again. And she'd be like, it's about a cowboy and he's he's on a beach and, you know, it's it's complicated. You wouldn't like it. And she kept warning me away from it. But I kept nothing gets through it, looking at the pictures and I'm like, like yeah, I, and I was mad fucking horny for this. Right. So I, I kept telling her or kept asking about it. And finally, one day I just ignored her. And read it. And I was like, holy shit, this is absolutely my jam. Then I went back and read the first one and it operated basically as a prequel. Mm-hmm. My So my position when recommending this series to certain people, not all people, but there are certain people who I know as friends who are like, hey, I want to get into the Dark Tower. If it's a certain type of person who I don't think will put up with the, the sort of clunkiness you're talking about in the first book. Tentativeness. Yes, and the the tone of it and everything about it versus the blockbuster nature of this second book. I don't think there's anything wrong with starting with the second book and going back and treating the first one as a prequel. Eric is in strong disagreement with me on this and has, has said on the show many times that if you don't start at the beginning, you don't deserve the Dark Tower. So this is a, a point we just, just have never agreed on. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, in light of everything you just said, what do you think about that approach? Would you ever recommend that someone start with the second book? No, but I would tell them that I know someone who does recommend it. That's a very political answer. I really love that. Yeah, I'm political, impressed. But, but, but as somebody who is spoiler averse and as somebody who wants to start at the start and take the ride and do the, you know, I, I don't mind, you know, having, having, having my meat if it means I get pudding later, you know, like, like that's just how my head works. Right. But no, and also, I don't know that the Stephen King that began writing Dark Tower 2 knew that dark that the collections of stories that would make up the Dark Tower 1 would be readily, easily, or conveniently collectible and attainable by anybody. Mm-hmm. Because that book, when it came out, was this is it was a you know, it was it came from a world where short stories were a vital life-saving if you to believe king's telling of it uh, arm of commerce for a young writer right there were right. magazines that published stories we don't live in that world anymore this started in the magazine of science fiction or a fantasy and science fiction right and it took mm-hmm. the, the there's a limited edition that came out in 1982 but would have been like a special even in 1982, I don't know what it would have cost, but it would have been more than the, you know, it would have been a collector's edition. It was more of. expensive. And I think it was limited. The first printing was limited, what, 3,000 copies? Yeah, it was three right. or five. 
Right. And um, sort of and, and you, world and it wasn't until Wizard and Glass that like they actually put it out yes. in like a mass market hardback. So yes. yeah, the first three books were these kind of little special one-off yeah. things. Yeah. And, and and in fact, I had the drawing of the three and wastelands, those, those special editions, and they were expensive. Like that was part mm-hmm. of the problem was it was real fucking hard to find and really pricey. And I, I you know, uh, it did not come from money and had to, you know, it was a big deal for me not to finish reading a book that I had paid money for. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like right. it was a big, like, ah, God, you know? Um, yeah. But like, uh, but that was, I, I want to say I had awareness of this book because it would be in, you know, the other books by Stephen King, but you could never find it anywhere. Or I would see an ad for it, like in the back of Starlog or Fang- old Fangoria's where you could, you know, because it was put out by these boutique publishers that used to do mm. really nice editions like that. And sort of that was a lot of a big comic book thing. A lot of guys from comics would would do work for, 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 for publishers like that. So there was a... Um, it was always the hard to find one. It was the rare one. It was, it was like those Beatles fan club holiday records. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? It was a small limited edition thing before his name occupied seven eighths of the cover real estate of any given book, you know? Yeah. Um, So I don't know. So, so he is fastidious in drawing of the three and making sure everyone gets caught up and knows what they need to know, both in terms of plot and story, because I he, think I think he I does think, summarize the first book at the beginning of the second, yeah, repeatedly, and what it means to the and what it means to Roland. Roland is unpacking throughout this narrative what the events of that first book meant to him, um, and Roland is mm-hmm. reckoning with this horror of I let a I killed a I let a kid die, I am haunted by a child. Who I am, and now as he is faced with the horror of assembling another group to him, of gathering more people that he finds himself charmed by and fond of, to his horror, knowing I'm the <laughs> kind of person that lets a kid fall to his death if if, if I'm going to get my goal. My goal is the Dark Tower. Guess what, gang? We're going to the Dark Tower. Can't guarantee you're going to make it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so so Roland's unpacking the events of the first book for us. I think this was written. I think two was written with the understanding that people might not have access to one. I would um, agree with that. Um, so I think you could do it as a purist, as a fan thus far. I, I think I know something about the end of these books that has made me want to go back and reread them. And I've been waiting for the excuse and the opportunity, right? This Your podcast has given me that excuse and opportunity. Um, but I think to look at the body of work as, what is it, eight books all in? Nine if you count the children's book? Uh, eight all in. Eight, okay, eight, yeah. eight all in, and, and a over, short story. Yeah, yeah. Over a span of thirty plus years, like this is by definition a life's work. Oh yeah, yeah. This it, is if if we are constant readers, uh, King has been the constant writer on the road to the Dark Tower. Like respect must be paid. Yeah. You know what I mean? Fair. So like it's dry. However, there's a chapter called the Slow Mutants. Yes. Yeah. That even is it even the first time I read it, like just the title, like, oh, that's so fucking good. It's mm-hmm. so I'm so like it's not a hard read, but also at the same time, if someone's tenuous and uh 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 uncertain, like yeah, just, uh, try it. And if you don't like it, jump ahead to the first chapter of, of drawing of the three. The thing that gets lost in this argument that we have is that I'm not saying to recommend that approach to everyone. 
It's just, I know certain people, I have, I have a friend, I'm thinking of a specific friend who I have recommended books to in the past. Name and shame them. Come on. (laughs) Uh, Her name is Katie Schultz. (laughs) Um, Yeah. uh, She's a longtime friend of mine and we share a lot of the same interests. And there have been occasions where I've recommended books to her and they've, those recommendations have gone over really well. And then there have been times where I've recommended something and it just doesn't work at all. Mm-hmm. And the pattern becomes clear in what she will respond to and what she will not. I don't think that I ever, I don't think I've gotten her in, you know, we've ever had the dark tower conversation, but I know instinctively that if she started with the second book, she would respond better to it overall than if she started with the first. I just know what? her. And you know, there's so, no way someone would read two first and then not go back to one. Exactly. Especially and you would have more patience because you 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 know what else this series does. And, so, and two, that the, 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 he when when King committed to resolving this series and went back and like he's re, he's he's special editioned it, but only a little. And like the discipline, just as a writer, as somebody who like everything I have ever, the worst day in comics is Wednesday, because Wednesday is the day new comics come out. And that's the day all of your mistakes are made permanent, right? (laughs) The best thing I ever wrote is the thing I just finished. And the worst thing I've ever written was whatever just came out. Yeah. It's never (laughs) not that case. To have the, 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 the discipline and strength of conviction to revisit something you began writing as a 19 year old and make these surgical adjustments is staggering. I have this bad feeling that when I'm done, I'm going to go back and do a reread of both the version of gunslinger that I read in 1987 or 88, mm-hmm. whenever it was. And then the adjusted version, just to see that the differences are, right. but he didn't right. like rewrite it. It would be different if Stephen King today rewrote that book. Yeah. The revision, like, it adds some stuff that better better mm-hmm. connects it to the later books in the series, mm-hmm. but it's sort of like it, it's, it's more, not a full it's expansion. Yeah, it's, it's maybe not, yeah. like fifteen pages, maybe total material, and it's usually and that's like across the entire thing. And, you know, it's paragraphs that are are added. It's not or like a se- or, or a sentence adjusted, or you know, right. part of it is just yeah. like a name change somewhere. A name change, the rules of the world, a little more clear or something that gets contradicted later. Trivia kind of right. stuff that really only Robin Firth would notice. Right. <laughs> uh, but like to have that discipline and self-control, I'm I'm a little startled. He, I, I kind of wonder, like, what would Stephen King today, if he rewrote that book, how, how would that read, right, to fit? Because Drawing of the Three is like, oh, yeah, this is the Stephen King who became Stephen King. Right. right? Like, there's no doubt who's driving that fucking car. Also, the whole thing is about the man in black. Man in black's in the book. You talk to man, the man in black is there. You have chapters of dialogue with the man in black uh, uh, in, in, in like, you're going to want to go back and read it. Like, holy shit, he's here. They talk. They, yeah, <laughs> they right. What? Or you could just read it first and not have to worry about it. <laughs> right. Uh, and, listen, and I, 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 I won't. Too, by the time you get to, by the time you get to book three, by the time you get to wastelands, you are going, you will, you will have to read it because if you've gotten through drawing of the three and you're onto wasteland, that's great. And when wasteland begins to do what it does in its first half, you will have no choice, but to then go back and read dark tower because you will realize that there's some stuff beyond 
oh, they were at a gas station. They had beef jerky. He fell asleep. There's a jawbone. You're, you're yeah. going to need to know more than what gets recapped. That is the cornerstone for my steadfastness in this. Um, if you don't go into even drawing of the three and let alone wastelands without the, the, uh, the time you spend with Jake and Roland in the first book, it's just not as impactful. I'm sorry. It isn't. It just plain isn't reading a, a, a two paragraph summary of what came before. Isn't the same thing it, it, that wouldn't give young Matt fraction that the, the, the brick reaction, which is what I Very had true. when I read when uh, uh drawing of the three and you realize who Jack Mort is and what he's about okay. to do. And it is it is such a completely uh, thing that if you read that first, it's like, oh, wow, that's a fucked up thing to do to somebody versus like, this is my son that you're about to do this to. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and the, yeah. the, as, as, as I said, the first line of the first book is the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. Right. I will bet money that is also the last line of the last book. In a book about cycles and breaking cycles and making cycles and being stuck in cycles, there is something handled so beautifully and so humanely with that relationship of Roland and Jake that will just strike you flat. I can't imagine if you get through drawing of the three, yeah. I can't imagine if you've not read one, you would not immediately want to go back and read the right. No, I, I think I, I can't I, imagine. What so I'm you, what I'm out here on the corner selling is for very a very specific type of person, you read two, then you read one, then you read three. And I would also argue that the fact that book four is largely told in flashback anyway, and isn't and is like a, basically a Roland prequel, Roland Origins. Right. Um, there's some sort of precedent maybe here for jumping around in the timeline a little bit. I, I hear well, everything that happens that already saying, in that first book. That happens already in the first book. Half of the first book is is uh, you know going to to Roland earning his guns and training with Court, and I mean yeah. that's already there. And then we time jump in the second book. So you know, I I don't I I get the instinct, and I I don't mind for you know the the idea for you know one very specific person in your life to offer a machete cut of the of the Dark Tower to because you just know their taste inside and out. But as a broad recommendation to just like any new person, fuck that. No, it is, it is read it in order. And listen, I will say having gone back through this, the first book isn't the homework that we're kind of making it out to be. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, it it is compared, (laughs) comparative only to something you don't know about yet. Right. right? right. So it's only when you look at the context, especially of the first three where the second and thirds are just straight up fucking, inventive adventure things. And when you go back and reread the first book after that, you go, yeah, no, it's kind of a slow plotting, you know, heady you know, but, but it's, it's also, it's, it is, but in, in the first hundred pages, the first great. sitting of the first sitting of, of gunslinger, you're, you're going to get the, the shootout in tall, which yeah. is a fucking gangbusters section. Yes. And it's also the very first in, uh, indicator you're going to get of, Roland's coldness when it comes to pursuing the object of his obsession. And uh, he won't let anything or anybody he even remotely cares about get in his way of it. And that, that opening section defines the character and, Mm -hmm. you know, that is the character that is established and set, set forward. There there are kind of, you know, peaks and valleys like any, 
uh, any book, but it is super short. I, I, you, I will, you, you, I will very, not wrong. you are not, yeah, you are I, absolutely I, not. I won't, I won't bend on the, 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 the mass appeal, but it's like having a kid and knowing if the kid's cool with scary movies or, or like gets weirded out, yes, you know, watching yes. a movie with their dad that, you know, that has kissing in it. And it's like, Oh, the fuck. Oh, that's weird. I'm watching this with my parents this is weird kind of thing. You know, there different things will, will affect different people. I wouldn't argue this order for Schultz specifically, you know, but uh, in, in terms of just like a broad default setting, uh, I don't, I don't really get the machete order yeah, broad, um, yeah. thing. But we're in yeah. agreement on that point. If you're, if you're, it's, uh, this if is not a broad, this, I have never pitched this as a broad suggestion. It is for a specific type of reader. You asked me to name one. I named one. Familiar, who isn't familiar with King, someone who yes. isn't into any kind of genre stuff. You know what I mean? If it's somebody that you're part of the wonder and the joy of, of King, it's just that adrenaline page turning velocity mm-hmm. that he writes with. And like I said, it is a slow burn. It burns, but like, it doesn't have the kind of rocket ride thrill. So like, I get it. If you're trying to hook somebody with excitement and razzle dazzle, yes. <laughs> you're like, Precisely. I, get, I get it. But like also, I don't know, man. You're, you're missing a lot of real important, really amazing stuff, and and you're lessening the impact for for yourself doing yeah. doing you're, it that also, way you're not uh, for gasp, no reason. You're not going to gasp at the end of two, and you're not going to cry in the middle of three. You know, right? Um, Fair enough. And and if you, you read you read Gunslinger, you're going to gasp at the end of two and cry in the middle of three. Uh, uh, and if you don't, first you're time out, you're robbing yeah. yourself of experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, listen, we need, I, I might be a little bit more amenable to this if we're talking if the first book was, you know, fucking 700 pages. It isn't. Sure. It, it's it's the shortest book of the series. You know, fucking plug your nose and get through it. <laughs> I have no patience for, for even, people that, that, that say they get sh- shaken off it's, by that book. It just it's the the it feels like there were 20 years between volume one and volume right. two because there were. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the author greets you at the front. Uh, front door of drawing of the three is not a 19 year old college student, you know, but a guy who's really in command of his craft. And, Mm -hmm. and so it's, it's, it's like, Oh, right. Okay, cool. 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 Here we go. All Um, right. Well, we should, we should move on from this because, you know, we've talked about it before and not that I'm trying to have the last word on it, but just to put a pin on it, uh, Vespi, I think you're a a dirty hooker with a filthy mouth. Um, Let me, let me me make a, may I I make a, May I make a proposal, a sort of Solomon-like suggestion, that if you propose the machete cut, you do it with the caveat of when you get to the end of section two, before you start the death section, Yes. ask yourself, are you invested Ooh, that in That could this? work. Are you into this? Are you going to keep reading? Are you going to finish this book because you're loving it? Stop right now. Go through Gunslinger. I could be, I could be hooked, into that. If you're hooked. It's a little more complicated, point, but yeah. But at that point... Before you get to the Jack Mort section, ask yourself, am I loving this? Am I into it? Am I going to keep going? You owe it to you. Well, at this point, you're it, not robbing yourself of, it, of the experience. Right. Well, it gets a little more complicated, though, I will say, because then you're going to have to also say, also ignore the entire preface that just summarizes the first book. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, and then don't, you know, then forget that, you know, uh, that you're meeting a guy waking up on a beach because this takes well, place yeah. hours. Yeah, no, right. No, but you I, know, but, There are two things that I remember, you know, whereas I remembered all of it, the two things I remembered about Gunslinger, I guess three, counting the opening line, the chapter called Slow Mutants, 
and Jake's recounting of how he died in New York. Right. Which is some of the most horrifying writing. I can't, I haven't read everything the man's written, but like that is some of the most horror, horror I've ever read. Uh, especially it is a more, more graphic uh, death than anything in like Pet Cemetery. The way you, because yeah. you're, he's oh, describing sure. it from his own point of view. It is a yeah. first person perspective of, of being run over by a car and it is the fucking worst. And <laughs> yeah. that was still it's in very my unpleasant. And it's very vivid and it feels authentic because it's not just the destruction that's happening, but like he'll mention like looking at his hand as he's yeah. on the, the pavement and stuff. His, his, and it's, and box. if you've ever been in shock or had a fall that's dazed you or something, you'll, you'll recognize that that's something that happens. You just kind of hyper-focus on, you know, something weirdly specific. Right. It's as though it was written by, uh, by somebody who had been hit by a car <laughs> or would go on to be, but that's my right. And that's right. That's the thing. That's what I want to talk. That's, this is where we're at. The, the cosmic destiny of this writer to mm. make these books and how you can then look at his body of work and see these almost Jungian symbols recurring. And I think there is no better example of that that I have encountered in his work so far than drawing of the three. I think it is as nakedly autobiographical as a piece of magical fantasy horror science fiction <laughs> can be. <laughs> yeah. I think it is. I think it, and, and I don't, and, and, and like, this is me projecting my own tendencies onto another writer but that's what we do, right? That's how we interpret everything we interpret. We interpret through our own lens. Sure. As somebody who would go back and look at my own work and see what I was dealing with at the time when I was writing it, unaware that what I was doing while it was happening, I look at drawing of the three as a, I, right, so I'm sober, right? I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict and I've been in recovery for a number of years mm-hmm. and, 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 and grateful uh, for it and for the life that sobriety has, has afforded me. I think this cycle of books is, is King writing about himself. I think he's writing about his process. I think he's writing about his subconscious. I think this book was written in the depths of his own alcohol and drug addiction mm-hmm. by his own admission. Right. And I think that it opens with a gunslinger lying on a dark Jungian beach of subconsciousness that a writer who has decided to commit to himself this journey, I'm going to write this 5,000 page cycle of books now for real. I'm going to do it because I'm Stephen fucking King and no one can tell me I can't anymore. <laughs> also, I do a lot of cocaine and drink a lot. <laughs> and it opens with these monsters coming out of the ocean to mutilate the gunslinger by cutting off the one thing a gunslinger needs, his fucking fingers. His trigger finger, man. It's a as, as autobiographical a statement of a functioning alcoholic addict as could possibly be all while asking questions and, by the way which is really interesting when you think about the lobstrosities because they speak but they speak in in uh data chum didichick like they always they, he this, describes as being quite asking questions that he doesn't understand this which you, you can also roll into to this theory of yours yeah this is what you're into this is what you're here for and then the three roles that Roland slash King have to inhabit. And what is Roland doing in this book? If not writing, mm-hmm. right. 
he's going to occupy the space of an addict. He's going to occupy the space of someone with a disassociative personality. And he's going to occupy the space of a monster. Mm. Right. And he's going to behave in each of these spaces and attempt to unify all of these things together in one place at one time. This uh, is a really uh, good take. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, like I said, it is me clearly projecting my own shit into it. But I but think, like, but I think you're onto something here. And I, I think that, you know, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking, yeah. And of course the first, you know, on if, 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 as you're saying, Roland is writing through the course of this, this particular novel in his own way, uh, who is the, what is the first thing he is saddled with on this journey, you know, beyond those monsters kind of picking at him on the beach, literally the embodiment of, of addiction, a a junkie. And, you know, monsters in your subconscious and they're going to destroy your ability to perform your art. Absolutely. And And that's how it starts. Here's your ticking clock. Like you, I, I've struggled with drugs and alcohol. I spent most of my twenties addicted to heroin. Just real, really bad shit. Worst period of my life, a, a complete decade of my life fucking wasted. I didn't really get my shit together until I was like 30. And somehow over, you know, the odds of getting out of that and like pulling yourself out of that trap. I don't need to tell anyone who's who's struggled with drug addiction, like the odds of surviving that or not ending up in jail are extremely fucking low. So um, that's something I'm pretty upfront about. I'm always willing to talk about it. I'm not ashamed of it because I'm yeah. proud of the fucking work that I put in and that I'm, I, I renounced, I renounced that second a in AA and NA a long time ago. Yeah. Um, NA and AA did not ever work for me. It was a combination of other elements, uh, mm. up to and including a good friend of mine, ODing. The Eddie Dean character specifically is, you know, uh, debatably my favorite character in the entire cycle of dark tower books, because I identified with him so much. Mm-hmm. This guy's a smart ass. He's a drug addict. He's got the ability to be a hard ass inside of him, but also like he's kind of out of his elements a lot because he just, he's in a fucking world. He doesn't understand. I can, I can identify with all of this. You know, that that's still me. The introduction of Eddie in this book is so good N- on a pure narrative level. It's great. You know, yeah going from that beach to he opens a doorway and suddenly he's looking out the window of a plane, a height that Roland could have never possibly seen from before. Like what a, it's fucking, a beautiful piece of writing too. Oh, it's so Roland good. trying to understand right. what he's seeing. Right. And being terrified. And this is yeah. a character who up until this point you believe is afraid of nothing, truly right. terrified of nothing. Yeah. Just right. had right. his hand bit off mostly. And I'm going right. to, I'm going to go jump into another dude's brain. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Fuck he, it, I'm Roland. I think he kind of handles the the hand thing uh, pretty, pretty stolidly, you know, when it happens. But when he throws open that first door with Eddie, he screams. That's his first reaction. Mm-hmm. You know, that's um, that's a notable moment, you know, for for this character to be screaming. And um, but then I also think that on top of just just on a pure narrative level, how great this scene is and how well it's written. The stuff with Eddie is oddly endearing. You know, oh, sure. we're, of course. we're, we're, he's every junkie you know, is we, the first amount of time we spend with him. He's in this hotel with the sleazy guy. He's trying to, he's trying to get like a, get a fix. And you know, he's about to pull off like this horrible crime and he's just kind of a sleaze bag, but still through all of that, the humanity of Eddie comes through and the, that's something only an addict could write. 
I think, yeah. you know, the, that the gift that of Eddie too, intelligibly. The gift of Eddie to the series is that he's the reader's voice. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, come the fuck on. You know what I mean? Eddie's right. the one saying <laughs> right. what we're thinking. So we feel like we have, okay, good. Someone here is as freaked out by all this as we are, right? He is charming and haunted and doomed and aware of it. And that is the tragedy of every junkie, right? That is the tragedy mm-hmm. of all of us in those states is like, we know, we know how this movie ends. Yep. And here's a minor spoiler, I guess, for um, Wastelands. How does Wasteland start? The same way with a monster coming out of wilderness, but it's not the ocean. It's the land. Hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And what does Gunslinger say to his hand? To his, his left hand, Roland says, you're going to have to get smarter. <laughs> yep. I, I'm not like some, I don't know someone somewhere would have to identify what he was writing when and where. And I know King's journey to sobriety was, took a couple of years, but like if Wastelands wasn't written by a sober person, it is written by someone with an awareness of sobriety. It 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 is written by someone who maybe still has a drug problem, but realizes it's going to end one of two ways. I, I think this was written during a phase of him. This might be the first thing he did while he was clean. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how, and I don't know how to do that. It feels like the opposite echo of drawing of the three, this opening mm-hmm. where instead of desolation and mutilation and sickness and drug addiction, it's all different. It's the same, but it's different. And yeah. rather than, you know, and sort of the, the, the pivot point, the kind of a driving plot concern of drawing of the three is getting drugs, but not heroin, not cocaine, penicillin. That's the difference between drugs and medicine, right? Yeah. That's sort of the thing. It's like, oh, yeah, no, look, Roland's a junkie in drawing of the three. What does Roland want the whole time? Drugs. Hmm. It's medicine, but it's drugs, right? And to then see where King's work goes, where this work goes specifically with regards to the events of King's life and like cars, cars are evil. Cars are like the primary machinery, primary symbol in his work of monstrousness, right? Whether Mm -hmm. it's Christine, the trains, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, The car that runs Jake over, like cars again and again and again show up in King's work as these malevolent forces, right? right? Cemetery Uh, trucks. Cemetery trucks, exactly. Uh, uh, Again, the the van that, 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 that hits him on the side of the road in 1999. But then in King's biography, what's the thing that they spent the carry advance on? A car. They bought a new car. The horror brings cars and cars bring the horror. It's this link, right? There's this cycle of like, oh, right. I write about Carrie. I write about blood. And I, and, and here come the cars. And you write about cars and here comes more blood. And then look, there's something mechanized in the the monster that comes out in, in Wasteland, right? So all this stuff, like all this kind of creative, like for a guy who's so prolific and so, mm, what's the word? Polymorphous in his tone and tongue that like this series to me feels like a like a master thesis like a this is a story about creation and king's life and who he is and this kind of epic hey as a uh, uh as, as king is uh having kids guess who else is having kids right how many king how many kids stephen king have how many kids does roland have i don't know if that's a coincidence or not and then there's this act of forgiveness that he's able to perform as a writer 
so much of this so much of this book is about forgiveness right so much of this is about being able to find the grace to move on right i don't know it's just something magical about it all when taken in comparison with what you know with, with the things we know about you know king's life and biography and history and his own struggles and stuff that i find just incredibly courageous and exciting to read and i don't know that any of it is right or accurate, but I'm fascinated and compelled by it. And it makes me feel like I know him as a person, which is real fucking weird. Yep. Right. But like, it feels like, oh, right. No, sure. You wrote about this. I mean, look, it was a giant lobster monster that came up out of a dark ocean. But no, I know you're on drugs. I don't know. Maybe it's junkies recognizing the sound of their own. But like, oh, it's a book about drugs. I get it. Hmm. And the redemptive power of creation. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, what do you make of the Detta Holmes section? Oh, Detta Holmes, <laughs> Detta Walker, I should say. Yeah, um, it's <laughs> the that kind of patois bothered me then. It bothers me now. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if this was present. I don't know if he rewrote Drawing of the Three. I don't know if he amended Mm-mm. Drawing of the Three the way he did I don't, Gunslinger. I don't think he did. No, he didn't. But but there's a moment where even Eddie and Roland acknowledge to one another she's putting on an act, mm-hmm. right? You know, like that's not real. It's not even people you think talk yeah. like that don't talk like that. Like this is fake. You know, like it's a, it's so like, I, it's such a, it's uncomfortable, <laughs> but yeah, to, to yeah, read, but, it, it, but it, it's also, it's also integral to the character. It's not, right. It's not, this isn't a case of a clueless white author just, you know, yeah, yeah. you yeah. know, doing a, a, a kind of authorly blackface here no, with is, a lot of a, the, a, the stereotypes because Detta is, is putting on, this caricature on purpose. Like this is what Detta, this personality that manifests in this very kind person, you know, you have this other, this, you know, this other dark side uh, to this person and that other dark side is cunning and it, it, you know, it's hateful. It is just filled with anger and, and and self-hate, right? It is a, it is a self-negating monstrous, suicide it is a human black hole looking to just just collapse every star around it and drag it like like i hurt so much the only thing i can do is hurt everyone around me all the time all right so if roland is king but also eddie is king and eddie is junkie king and junkie king is in control writing this book coked up and rocking out Eddie falls in love with her first. And like, that's, that's his love. That's King's love. That's King's understanding of her. And and King knowing, I think where he's going with the end of this book and beyond with the Detta Odetta character, he's predicting sobriety. Hmm. He's seeing what happens when the very best of you and the very worst of you can get together and become something more, you know what I mean? Instead of like, like it's, right. it's, it's again, it's, it's this act of forgiveness. Drawing like what power from when, each side, basically. When Detta yeah. and Odetta can forgive. Becoming the best other. version of each. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And forgiving the worst. I'm like, yeah, I've right. looked at, I've looked at yeah. your shit. It's, not, I've it's an embrace. Shit. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's an embrace between Detta and Odetta when they actually have to face each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and yeah, it, it's it's not a fight. It is it's 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 an understanding. We, the reader, love her too because if you like me, will then gasp uh, uh-huh. in this in the back third of the book. It's because you love this woman and right. want her healed. You know, and there's there's something so 
also very alcoholic about repeating the same mistakes, right? Bigger and bigger and bigger. The more you, the, the, the more you use, the more you drink, the more shit you keep fucking up. It's the same mistakes just on a bigger scale. Cause you get smarter, right? You get, you need more, you need more drugs. You need the, you need more booze. It takes more. So you start fucking up bigger, but like that King condemns Roland slash himself to repeating these same mistakes with these people that he clearly loves again and again is fucking hard to read. Yeah. The stuff he puts us through and puts Roland through is is a very self-negating kind of junkies insanity, you know? Sometime eventually I'll fuck up so big and I'll get so fucking stoned and I'll I'll somehow loop around. <laughs> you know, like when uh uh, liberals go like like super into libertarianisms, and then somehow there this libertarianism leads to like you know, suddenly you're a Nazi. You go so far to the left, you're far right now, right? Right. Like, so yeah. If I just keep fucking up so much, I'm going to loop around, and then I'll be awesome. Like it just right. uh, <laughs> the, 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 the the cruelty and violence inflicted on the on Roland's found family, assembled family, is is confessional, autobiographical. You know, it's and hard to read, and 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 huge emotional it's 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 tremendous it's just tremendous work it's a different kind of horror to read someone who thinks about themselves like that someone who speaks about themselves like that someone who looks at the world the way um Detta looks at the world and there is something to be said for the the idea of both with eddie and odetta i, I keep wanting to call her Susanna because that's you know ultimately who she becomes that's like the combined elements but there is something to be said uh, along the lines of this theory that people who people who have come out the other side of abusive relationships, drug addiction, alcoholism, to me, uh, surviving these circumstances is I'm going to sound like I'm blowing myself here a little bit because I've already, you know, re revealed that I'm one of these people. But there is a warrior element to that. You know, there is there is a sort of inner strength that you have to pull from, like harness and and employ on a daily basis that is fucking unreal. You really, really, really have to be a strong willed person to to survive those things. So in the take that you're pitching, I, I find doubly interesting, given that these are two highly damaged people, you know, who who become really ferocious fucking gunslingers over time. Everything you're saying tracks. And, and I think this is a, a great take on it. Doesn't but so much translate toughest... to Jack Mort because Jack no. Mort's just a fucking serial killer and he is just not salvageable. Right. But, right, right. But, but, but that's the point. Mm -hmm. Right. Neither is being a functional junkie. Right. Right. There's this monster in you. Yeah. You have to kill it. You're not the life of the party. You right. know who's a drag. You want to know who's a fucking drag? Keith Richards. <laughs> because yeah yeah he's keith richards but like you don't know you don't know who's a fucking drag. johnny depp is a fucking drag yeah you know shane mcgowan is a fucking drag um these aren't stories that end great they might end in a long time you might live long. you might be keith richards old before you go it's not i, I don't think it's a, had lunch with charlie watts you know what i mean for sure <laughs> it's me. it's not to it's it's easy when you're in the grips of addiction or you know um well, I'll just leave it. At, I'll, I'll leave it at addiction and, and alcoholism. It's it's easy when you're within those situations to romanticize them, because yes. there are good things that go along with it. Especially, I if, I I believe if you're a creative person, there are there are things that drugs and alcohol will do to you that you cannot get while being sober that 
Um, oh, I entirely disagree with that. Well, I but that's, well, yeah, that, your, that's your fine. But my my point my point being that what those things are minimal compared to the clean mind. You know, it may seem as though you're being more creative. It may seem as though you're funnier or you're you're getting better ideas and so on and so forth. But on the whole, that's not true. You know, it, it's, it's, it's all it's there. Like, it's, there's nothing. It, it's not additive, right? It doesn't magically yeah. put thoughts in your head. But it doesn't. But because it can feel that way, that's why it's easy to romanticize sure. it. That's I, that's I, the I, 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 I think like the toughest cowboy in the bar isn't the one with notches all up and down his holster drinking his third bottle of rye. The toughest cowboy in the bar is the one without a gun who's drinking milk. And I think about Bruce Lee a lot. Be like water. Right. Right. That's, that's, there's no strength there. There's no, there's no form. It's, it's, it's form without form. It's, it's to, to be tender, to allow flow, to allow like that's, that's, that's the strength. Like that's the toughness is to, or rather, I think it's kind of the opposite of toughness. There's a kind of gentility and a grace to that that comes from courage and confidence and and an inner strength that isn't about I can kill everybody in this room. But rather, I don't need to kill anybody in this room. Mm-hmm. You know, and and there's a journey. It's interesting too. The next time we see Roland at the start of Wastelands, he is not in possession of his guns. Yes. His job is changing, right? Yeah. It's not his job to walk into Tull and kill everybody anymore. Right. He's a dad now. He's got to put yeah, his family he's moved into a leadership position. Yeah. Yeah. To his horror. But surely he will fuck us up too, right? And he knows it's coming. And he's haunted by it. You know, it's one thing when you're fucked up and you're the only person whose life you're ruining when you have a family. Right. So just other stakes on the line. Which I think there's there's something about that too. Eric, you've been pretty quiet through this. What do you think? I mean, I'm taking this all in. I'm acting as a as a listener right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've never, I've personally never been. I I have an addictive personality, but only when it comes to food. Really, alcohol and drugs have never been that for me. So, so I I can only intellectually relate to the conversation, which isn't the same thing as is. Um, you know, emotionally being there and understanding everything you guys are seeing, saying I can understand it with my mind and go, right, yeah, that makes right. a lot of sense. <laughs> but, you know, but it, but it's it really is something that I feel like you can have an understanding of, but you don't know deep in your bones unless you've been there. Right. Sure. Um, so it's very interesting for me to hear these parallels and have me kind of reexamine kind of the roles of the quartet in a different way than I, I have before, uh, you know, kind of thinking of them, you know, as potentially as, as ways for King to have addressed his own uh, demons, whether or not it's, it was intentional, whether it was subconscious, whether it's subtextual, you know, I, you know, I couldn't answer that question. I think S- Stephen King is the only one who could answer that question. He probably doesn't know. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know yeah. if it's like an overt thing where he set out to write a book and said, you know what, each one of these people I'm pulling out of this, these doors are going to be about yeah. my, my current addiction, you know, but you, you tell on yourself when you're a creative yeah. writer, these are things that are going on in your mind. Like, I, I'm really curious what you guys think of something that stuck out to me on this recent reread is, I don't know if it ever hit me before how the key to Eddie for Roland is recognizing that he needs someone to take care of. That his his kind of toxic relationship with his brother, who's the one who got him, you know, on uh, on drugs was kind of rooted in 
this sense of obligation that he had to take care of him because his mom had beat it into him that, that his brother has done nothing in his life, but uh, take care of Eddie. Right. right. I believe Eddie who threatens to slit Roland's throat on the beach would, could have potentially have done it if it wasn't specifically for you or built up to it at a certain point or abandon him and whatnot. Cause that's exactly what's going to happen at the beginning. Cause Roland essentially kind of kidnaps Eddie. He puts Eddie in a, in a position where it's like, yeah, cool. You can stay where you are, but you're going to go to prison for the rest of your fucking life. If you yeah. don't walk through this door with me right now. So it's not much of a choice. And at the beginning of, of the relationship between Roland and Eddie, it is purely Eddie's perspective is just to get out. He wants to go back and, you know, and he admits to himself at a certain point, he just wants to go back and get a fix, you know, that he wants to go through. And there's another doorway into a world that could be his or like his. Uh, and Roland's the only one that can open that door. Then I'm going to, you know, keep this dying man alive as much as I can so I can get through there. But it's when Roland pulls, um, uh, Detta and Odetta through back through and he has somebody to care for. That's when he's able to ignore the monkey on his back, you know, and there's, there is something to that as a character that kind of clicked with me, um, this read that I didn't get before. I, I wonder if that fits into your thesis in, in, in a way that I I'm not seeing. I mean, I think Eddie's a son that needs a father who needs a son who needs a father who needs a son that needs a father. You know, it's interesting that he, you know, he learned drugs from his brother. He got into drugs because of his brother. He followed his brother into heroin. And there's something about inspiration, maybe. I don't know. The only male relationship in the book, Roland and Eddie are, at least so far, I don't have the feeling you're going to kill each other. You know, Uh, every other male has been very temporary. It's a character that we know who's going to die or Roland is going to kill, um, whether in his backstory, you know, in his kind of, as they encounter people, you know, right. So, so there's this kind of male relationship between them. It gets interesting as it becomes a kind of, it moves away from, it kind of becomes teacher student. That's really fascinating how Eddie retains his essential Eddie-ness while becoming more like Roland. And then you start to see Roland becoming a little bit like Eddie, like I said, he makes a joke. Um, um, and starts to tease a little and becomes uh, uh, more gentle. And I think it's, it's, it's directly a result of that. Just the, the gift of fellowship, right? That's what a quartet is, right? It's mm-hmm. fellowship. What Eddie was getting out of Henry Dean, his older brother, mm-hmm. he is now getting by the end of, uh, or by the beginning of the wastelands, he is now getting half of it from Roland and he's getting half of it from Susanna. This idea that you're presenting about the, the father that needs a son that needs a father, you know, he's, He's being taken care of and guided by Roland, much like Henry guided him and, yeah. you know, taught him his ways. And he's also got someone to take care of in, in Susanna in the ways that he was sort of taking care of Henry as well, even though he was his older brother. It's, uh, and, and through that act, through those acts of compassion um, and generosity of spirit and sort of um, fellowship and service of helping others, like Eddie, the creative, comes back to life. Mm-hmm. Eddie, the artist, comes back to life, and we start to learn this this sort of smushed out secret Eddie we don't get to see very much of in Drawing of the Three in Wasteland, and it's sort of a result of this journey out of addiction and into, I don't know, the quartet, where Eddie finds the courage to start creating again, yeah. which I think is another potent metaphor for 
sobriety and the creative process. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. man, you'll be amazed when that monkey's off your back, how much easier it is to move around. For real. And then eventually you start to remember how to dance, you know? And, and that's, so that's cool. And, and I still have a lot, a lot of, I, I don't, you know, I clearly have a long way to go. So I'm, I'm fascinated to see, but the idea that Eddie has this creative spark that, that his brother, not even heroin, but his brother snuffed out. Mm. Specifically his brother snuffed out mm. is, is intriguing to me. And, and, feels of a piece with the rest of my kind of interpretation of this as creative thesis. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about uh, Jack Mort's section of the book, his doorway. Um, yeah. You know, we've touched on the brick thing and, you know, sort of danced around the, uh, the so other the murder that occurs there. But there's for people who don't want spoilers, let's draw the red line here. Yeah. Cause like if you're, if you are curious, if you're tower curious, <laughs> bail <laughs> at this point, cause, cause now, we're, now, curious. Now, now, now we got to get into it. And and we don't want to rob any of the the pleasures. I experimented the- with the tower in college. Yes. Yeah. Who uh, who among us has? Um, yeah. I'll try tower. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So cons- it, it's pretty impossible to talk about the Jack Mort section without getting into some spoiler territory. So yeah. yes, if if uh, you haven't read this book and somehow you've listened to all of this so far, uh, now would be the time to stop. The first thing I want to highlight in this section is the entire pawn shop sequence. When, when every, really everything from the drugstore to, to the pawn shop and then everything through the pawn shop is another just blockbuster sequence in this novel. They sort of touched on this weirdly enough in the, um, the dark tower movie that got made. I mean, they touched on a a fucking bazillion things from the dark tower in that movie to no great effect. But, That's why I haven't seen it because no, I, I've heard it kind of takes from it takes from a lot of the other books and like I just I'm so delighted. It's a remix of the first three for sure, um, yeah. with with and like s- giant chunks out of books six and seven for some yeah, reason. It just, it just felt like yeah. it's a disaster in terms of structure and uh, you know just organizing the mythology. You know, it's yeah, it's right. I I cannot recommend it. When you finish the series, give yourself like a couple of weeks of the high of, of like, Oh, I've done this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then watch the movie. You're going to do it at some point. You're going to finish the series and you're going to go. I have to see what they yeah, try yeah. to do with the movie. Too curious, uh, too but yeah, curious. but don't, don't watch it until, until you yeah, finish. Yeah. But, um, that, that pawn shop sequence, I fucking love it. It's, it's yeah. the, the tension in the scene. Um, the, there is some comedy. It's to, a full on gun shop, right? Yeah, it's like a because it's oh, a gun okay, yeah, story. not a pawn yeah. shop, but yeah, a gun shop. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's comedy in that scene. I love it. It's one of my favorite uh, sequences in the book. I don't have a question for this. I just wanted to specifically single that out as a thing. I you really know, it's, enjoyed. It's the uh, it's the it's the Mr. Mercedes uh, Stephen King, right? It's that sort of post Bachman. You know, it's that glimpse of like King the crime writer, and that kind of now mm-hmm. that is how delightful is that. That in, right. in his quote dotage unquote, he's discovered the joy of flexing. I haven't read Billy Chambers yet. It sounds like Billy Chambers is very much in that. That's what the new one Summers, is, right? Yeah. Billy Summers. Summers. Yeah. Summers. Billy Summers. You're thinking oh, of Chris Chambers from Stand By Me, probably. <laughs> uh, oh my God, it's all connected. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, but like that, how great is that to find? Oh, right. Look at these muscles I can flex, right? Yeah. Um, uh, but it feels like that. It feels like a glimpse of him. Like, what if it, what if, what if I just wrote? How do you do? It's so great. It's so terrific. And then on to the drugstore after the shootout in the drugstore is mm-hmm. breathtaking mm-hmm. and hilarious. Him and catching the guy the in the mirror a, and all that shit. A, 
and the Nebishi yeah. pharmacist complaining the whole time. Like it's just, <laughs> yeah. it feels like a Paul Thomas Anderson sort of set piece where there's like, yeah. oh, you can, ju- it's just, and it's just crystal clear and the action is sharp and, ah, oh, it's so great. I get a so lot of great. Spielberg vibes from this whole book. I can imagine a, a Spielberg version of this, this story mm. on screen and, how he would do certain sequences and you know, the little grace notes that would, you know, you're talking like the drugstore owner complaining <laughs> through the whole thing. I can, I can, I know exactly how Spielberg would play that. You know, yeah, you can with, hear the, you can hear the John Williams yeah, music sting, balancing the, the tension of the moment with that, with the, beep, 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 you know, beep, beep, beep. quick shots of the, the mirror, you know, that he's like looking into and seeing the guy coming. Like I can, I can instantly see that in my mind's eye. So that's the name that, that jumps to me before before PTA. But in any case, you know, uh, visionary stuff going on there, right. you know, and perfectly yeah. executed on the page. And we've talked a little or not a little bit. We've talked a lot about kind of the more serious, you know, subtext and and themes and stuff of the book. But like this, this section, even though it's about, uh, you know, Roland in the body of a serial killer. Like he does something very smart. It's all very fun. This is get this gets yeah. to be fun. This gets this dives into the wish fulfillment mm-hmm. thing where like he knew he needed Eddie, uh, and he knew he cared for Eddie even before Eddie came through the door into Roland's world. Same thing with um, Deda no Deda. Uh, as as scared as Roland is and is untrustworthy, uh, untrustful of the the aggressive and dangerous side of her personality. Uh, as he is like, there's all this stark difference. And then when he goes into Jack Mort's personality, he goes into to his mind through the door uh, and then realizes that he's about to push. You know, yeah. We've gone past the red line. He's about yeah. to push Jake in front of the car. Mm-hmm. He is the person that kills Jake that sends then uh, sends Jake to Midworld. That was his doorway in the in the first one was was to die in his his time. And this is something that comes to play really uh wonderfully in the uh and in, in the next book um roland can't help but to just stop himself and go well fuck this guy he's certainly not meant to come over to my place i'm gonna get everything i need give me all the guns and bullets that i can get out of this world give me <laughs> yeah. you know give me more tutor fish sandwiches give me give me the uh, uh fucking all the medicine i need because yeah, you know, aston, he's, he's, aston and gunshot yeah 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 aston and keflex Getting yeah. that Keflex, it's, it's, and, um, it's, the, and he's just line? like, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to, you know, and especially when he starts to realize it's not just Jake that he pushed, he also pushed somebody else that's now in his quartet, uh, and he's just like, pretty much, fuck this guy, I don't care what this guy does, and it's like a weird wish fulfillment of like, what if yeah. you could just go do whatever you want because there's no consequences, and the only person paying a consequence for any any shit that you do right now is going to be the one who deserves it the most anyway. Yeah, so fuck a it. real piece of shit. And the it's only a really good reason, final door, for sure. The only reason the man in black has done this is to punish Roland. Mm-hmm. There's no virtue, right, to Jack Mort other than Roland's suffering. I'm, and what's the line that, that when you when you travel with the boy, you're in the man, the, 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 the you're, you're you're in the pocket. The man, the man in black travels pocket. with your soul in his pocket. pocket yeah. yeah, and that's it. And this is it. this is the man in black just saying, "I'm gonna fuck with you now." That's it. It's just punishment that Roland is able to salvage it and turn it into a thing of value. We're like, all right, I'm going to grab, you know, I'm going to grab what I need from here, but it is, I'm putting you in this body just so you know, you've now killed Jake twice. Right. And you have, <laughs> you've also 
provoked the head trauma that 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 turned that split Odetta uh, into Odetta and Detta. Roland is now right. the agent of his entire Cotet's suffering, or at least not Eddie's, but I don't know. There's still time, I suppose. You, you, um, yeah, you might recontextualize a little bit of this as you go through the book. Yeah, it's also uh, fascinating too. This is like yeah. is go it, through the series, sorry. The Man in Black and Jack Mort and Roland Flag and like or a, a, a Randall Flag are they all one? Are they all together? Are they all present? You know, because like suddenly, the, suddenly, if it was Jack Mort that pushes. Jake, it wasn't the man in black who pushed him, but the man in black was there. Jake sees him as the the priest that, that comes, you know what I mean? And sort of like yeah. this, this weird, it's, I mean, it's kind of a perfect metaphor for this whole book with sort of space and time all kind of folding in these weird points and these weird moments of horror. But like, it's such a, but yeah, it, it, it's such a shock and awful torment for Roland. And like I say, yeah, when, when, when Jack drops the brick, that hits young Odetta, I just, <gasps> I couldn't, mm-hmm. it was just the worst, most monstrous uh, uh, thing in the world. I couldn't, yeah. it was, it was so terrible. It was so awful. And then, and that was before the Jake stuff, right? Yeah, so oh yeah. Well, before it was, that, that was, that was, that was not even the worst thing that was going to happen to roll in the next hundred pages. <laughs> right. And I, and I think it was a, like another 10 or 15 years ish uh, before Jake, where he pushes the adult, Odetta in front of the subway train and causes her mm-hmm. to lose her legs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's uh yeah, it, it, it is such a, a perfect bow on everything that you've read. And it's some of the, I think it's one of the reasons why this is such a great hook for a novel, because one, you love everybody in there. And when you get to the end of this book, you go, fuck yes. I want to see these guys on the adventure to save all the worlds and existences that we know. Like this is my team. I'm, I'm totally mm-hmm. down for this. Um, so it's a character thing, but it's also just in terms of flat storytelling, you're right. It has a pulsing like beat to it because Roland is slowly dying as he's doing this. And it's, it's a dangerous thing that he, he's doing. He's like leaving a lot to, to, you know, uh, he's literally out of bullets. Here's a guy that's established as being a dude that can kill an entire town. He is that Mm -hmm. badass. And the, what happens at the very beginning of the fucking thing? You take away most of his bullets and his fucking smart hand. Yeah, yeah. And, you take away his smart hand, and, and now he's shooting, he's shooting blanks. Great. And yeah, and it is it is such a a wonderful wonderful setup uh, coming off of the gunslinger. Another reason why I fucking think you need to read them both together. Um, <laughs> uh, but it, it it's such it's such a great like setup and payoff because. It, it, it's done in a way like I remember having a feeling when I went into the first Matrix sequel where I was kind of upset that that uh, I mean, that you can be upset about the for Matrix Reloaded for a lot of reasons. But like I remember instantly going, they're not living up to the promise of what the last movie ended up ended mm-hmm. as. Right. The last movie is fucking Neo is Superman. And you're like, God damn, like, I can't wait. I'm going to see him unravel the Matrix. And then they fucking do some cool fight shit and and then bog everything down in this convoluted, you know, story. And I remember being disappointed. And you'd think that you would get that same feeling from this where you set up this great badass and he's finally set on the journey that's going to mean the savior of, of us all, of everybody in every reality. That is what this guy, this guy might be cold, but you know, we need a guy like this to go on this journey. 
it's a testament to King's writing that by hobbling him right out of the gate, that it doesn't feel cheap or unearned or, or like a failure of the promise of the end of the first book. Um, it, in fact, it like makes, it makes it more interesting and makes him more uh, the right person here. And the way he, you know, gains his humanity slowly one by one as he like, cause they, they don't just describe it as like, Oh, I like this guy. This is a, a group of people falling in love with each other as okay. friends and sometimes as lovers within this group. It's like, it, it is, it is a, an intense and quick bond that is happening. And I don't know, like as a reader, you just feel like you're part of, part of the cotet. You feel like you're on the journey with them. And that is, that is what the being a tower junkie as Eddie calls Roland at a certain point, you know, I've kind of adapted that as the, the name that I give all the dark tower obsessive people. Um, and, uh, you know, being a tower junkie is feeling like you're on that journey with these characters. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to Scott's point, that's why this is the book that hooks you and why you might want to hook somebody right out of the gate. It is just such a wonderfully told, it's wonderfully structured. It is wonderfully paced. Every sequence, every door is a banger. Everything that happens in between, just the, even the detail of the lobstrosities, uh, mm-hmm. I fucking love where he gives rules. It's like they come out ab- as after the sun sets. They only pretty much go up to where the high tide line is and they won't pursue you any further. The little details of like in them raising their claws up whenever the waves roll in mm-hmm. and and shit. And like in they describe one that Roland kills. Uh, I think it's the one that eats his finger actually. And uh, like he stomps it to death and, and just the instinct in those creatures are so ingrained in their, their being that like even this dying crushed one as the waves roll in, like weakly raises its claws up in the air. Cause that's just right. what, what it does in nature, little details like that, just like instantly paint a picture of the world. It there's is. A, there's, a, there's a point too, like at the end where uh, there's a bit where Eddie is almost, killed i think i think this i think it was eddie when eddie's kind of watching over roland but watching out for odetta and whatever the but like if they discover oh wait they are intelligent like he yeah. like one of them dies and then another eventually they realize to stay away from this one okay so we can like and just that like that little trivia yeah. of oh this thing's about to kill me but I'm mean, still taking, yeah, because he's learning about them. Yeah, Eddie's killing him for food, right? Like right, that, there, right, there right. is no food where they are. They're just on this like desolate beach, and so he, he's like, "Well, those things look close enough to lobsters." And as Roland is unconscious, you know, slowly recovering because he's able to get a little um, antibiotics. Right. But um, eventually, one of them, like he's, uh-huh. he's like he's he's killing one, and one of it like moves away. Like, oh, it does realize that if it walks up this way, I can kill it because eventually the other ones start to go a different way. And he's like, okay, right. There's some yeah, yeah. intelligence here, but like that, it, it's, it's, it, it's fun about this work too. It's, it's true, at least in the, the, the first three books where King is clearly writing the rules of the world as he goes and discovering yeah, it. And that's, sure. He talks a lot about that in on writing about like not plotting. So you kind of, yeah. you know, uh, to, to, which is a whole other show, I guess, but like, it just feels like so madly inventive and he doesn't know what's going to happen. What happens? When we go here. What happens? When we go there. And then, you know, you feel like you get a handle on it and then they go somewhere new and suddenly the world gets so much bigger and more, much more interesting and complicated and and surreal. That is a double-edged sword because it keeps things very fresh because it's fresh for the author writing it. And again, without going into any spoilers for future books, the post-accident books have a convoluted feel to them that the pre-accident books don't have. Mm. Um, As he's, is wrapping it up, it's still super engaging 
Wolves of the Kala is very fun. Um, and then, you know, when he gets into the, we got to wrap it up territory, you know, it gets super emotional, but it's, there's a cleanness to this first run, especially the first three books, which are more adventure books. Um, and the fourth book is just an incredible tragic romance, you know, and And, it's it's one origin story book, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's in terms of world building, it is very clean as well. And things get a little muddied later um and i think that's kind of you know due to a lot of what you're talking about is that he's as he's drawing towards the conclusion the world can't be as big as it is because he's already he has multiple novels behind him where he's established these rules but that's right. something exciting the, the about these early to books close. right and and it's it's closing behind him he's more limited by what he's established behind him and he's focusing to a point in front of him right, right, right. so so it's going to naturally limit him in a in a, in a way um and a lot of the ways it's fucking, you know, really great stuff. A lot of the ways it's not so great stuff. But uh, but there again, there's a cleanness to these first few books where specifically, I think because of what you said, he has the whole world in front of him and he can do just about anything that, that he can imagine. And uh, and he can imagine quite a lot, imagine so. an awful lot. Yeah, It's sort of my least favorite part of any kind of. You know, whether it's Dune or Game of Thrones or any of these kinds of you know sagas, is eventually there comes a point. It feels like where these things can get so heavy, where it they become about themselves. At some point, Game of Thrones is just, as a show anyway. It just becomes about the show Game of Thrones. You know, like it's so much about its own rules and its own parameters and its own territory that it loses something of the the, the, the joy of creating. So I'm, I'm, I'll be curious to see. If in this last, you know, in the last thousand pages, are we are dark? Do the Dark Tower books just become about the other Dark Tower books, or is it still, you know, um, um, it requires a kind of deafness of hand? And look, maybe, maybe just the weight of anything like that. Maybe it just doesn't. Maybe you have to. Maybe, maybe there's no way to resolve uh, such a piece of work, you know, without turning inward. But uh, uh, I'm I'm curious to see, and I'm and I'm I'm curious to see how fantasy the fantasy gets, like how. How much high speech comes into it? How much does it, you know, how, how Tolkien-y does it get? Um, not that I particularly, you know, I got a book and a half of Tolkien. <laughs> it's, like, it's not going to get know. Tolkien-y, is it? <laughs> I'm very curious. I'm very curious. What, yeah. No. See, see what you make in the rest of the series. Same thought. Given everything yeah. you said. I just, we're, we're past the red line, so I feel comfortable with this part, but like. I know King himself shows up in the book. That's yeah, the thing I, I kind of don't want to tell you. So <laughs> yeah, I don't, want, I don't. But like, that's the thing that, like, yes, because this is his life's work. Of course, he shows up in it. Yes, after he gets hit by a car. Like, like, please tell me the man in black was driving the car, uh, uh, or a van. But yeah, it's like I'm. I cannot wait to see how he handles that. I'm. I'm was so, that the spoiler? The yeah, spoiler you the talked about because yeah, before yeah. we started recording, you you said that like you heard one spoiler that we dropped it wasn't you guys i heard it somewhere it was oh, the thing that good. made me want to revisit all of this interesting so uh, it was knowing that king shows up at some some point in his own way yeah yeah and having revisited you know it's weird he had finished bag of bones but it was in the process of redrafting it when he got hit by the car and the sort of and then you know sort of bag of bones and lisey's story and like stories about he writes really well about authors and it's kind of the thing that traditionally like writes really it's it's writers write about writers and it gets real boring real fast and it gets real jerk offy and whether <laughs> it's whether it's whether it's fucking 
Jack Torrance or Paul Sheldon or, you know, or it's not the case uh, for King somehow. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm dying to see how he pulls it off and what it's like. It just feels like such a personal work of revelation and, and self-analysis that, that I'm thrilled to anybody that anyone would, would let other people in. You know, I, I like I talked about this earlier where I'll look back at my work for whatever reason and see whatever it was I was going through when I wrote it. Like when my dad was dying of cancer, everything I wrote was about my dad dying of cancer. And I had no idea until I saw it after my dad had died. Yeah. And then I went back and saw the work. I'm like, oh my God, all this stuff is, this is all about that. You know, um, subconscious is a just, hell of a thing. You yeah, know, right? it's going mean, to bleed into your work if you're a creative, for sure. It is, it is the work. And I think when you work at a velocity, and I mean, I also have a theory about like Jack Kirby, but you know, like after I had my, my, you know, we were my first, first kid, and like, you, I kind of haven't slept for 14 years. <laughs> There's something That's why about I do not have kids. My work, I think it's just kind of dreaming on paper because I don't really get REM sleep anymore, you know? Hmm. And I think there's something in like Jack Kirby's work that's very dreamlike. Because it's like, oh, you had four kids and you had to draw 28 pages of comic books this week. Like, I think you just dream on paper. And I think somebody who produces the kind of clip and velocity that, that King does, I don't know how you're not dreaming out loud or interpreting your dreams out loud, hmm. whether or not you're aware of it or not. It, but, but again, that's me projecting my shit on other people. But like, so for him to actually arrive in the novel as a character feels perfectly of a piece with that assumption, with that interpretation of, of this book as being really ultimately about King's creative process and creative life. Reading the books as they came out, and I've, I've mentioned this on the show before, there was a period where a friend of mine and I were convinced that the way it would end is with mm-hmm. Roland getting to the top of the tower and discovering Stephen King. And then, yes, ultimately he does appear as a character in the story, but not in that, um, you know, that's not the context of it. Right. Um, so I, I think there are, there's something there that I, I wholeheartedly, you know, believe that you're right about in terms of it's seeming almost impossible that King wouldn't become a character in this somehow somewhere along the lines. And along that note, you know, you've made, you have your own predictions about how the series will end. I'm curious if there's an ending to this that you would react very strongly in the negative towards, like what would be the worst possible ending that could happen at the end of this series? The worst possible ending would be if it turned into, um, the two towers. <laughs> I just fall asleep. There's some goddamn talking elf, trees and, and, that show up. I swear to God. An elf gets on a horse. Second breakfast. Um, fuck you. Uh, two musical numbers. How many fucking songs are these guys going to sing? Um, you know, I, I was going to kind of joke that like, oh, if it would be like a ready player one, but entirely about Stephen King's stuff, like, like he shows up and Jack Torrance opens the door to the dark tower and Pennywise and Cujo <laughs> are running outside and now I walk and roll into the place where ideas come from. And, and I was like, actually, I don't know. That would kind of be interesting. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I think there is some, I mean, that's, that's not how it ends, but there are, there are <laughs> elements that of that scattered through, uh, you know, other stuff, you know, you can the turtle, the fucking turtle from it yeah. is here. Yeah, of course. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. Well, my point being here that, Dark Tower is the linchpin of all King work, you know, mm-hmm. and if you look, if you 
search hard enough, you can find connections to the Dark Tower series in way more King novels than you cannot. And mm-hmm. and even a number of the short stories. So it is that sort of fanfic ultra Easter egg sort of thing mm-hmm. that you're that you're imagining is the worst case scenario. I do think that there's there's kind of an element to that that does happen naturally, just not in such a thuddingly obvious way. With that in mind, are you are you how do you feel about the interconnectivity of all this? I think he handles it with such a deft he doesn't tend to hang lanterns on the stuff when it happens mm-hmm. that I got so emotional reading eleven twenty two sixty three when I don't know if it was Richie and Bev mm. he walks yeah, by two he walks by show up yeah he walks by two of them playing just playing just kids and it's something you never got to see in it because it is about you know the monster right. But to just have this moment of, if you hadn't read it, it would be nothing. Oh, he just walked by two kids playing in the Barrens. Mm-hmm. But I got so, oh, they're okay. Right, That's right, right, they, right. You know, it was such a, I, I, that was probably where I had, you know, I don't remember if I knew about Bill and It at that point as a movie. But maybe it was, maybe, I, it feels like it was maybe a while. But I, that was maybe where the idea of, like, I should go back and look at that started, you know. But that was such a breath of, of magic to me and as a thing in comics the comics are constantly especially like like work for hire superhero comics sure you know there's 80 years of continuity or whatever you're constantly in danger of just basically writing fucking wikipedia articles right right um and turning a trivia and that's bad i just you know i think that's one of the the reasons that kevin feige was able to kind of mastermind how the marvel movies worked and I've been saying this is a guy who sat in a room, you know, for a week talking about it with him on Iron Man 2 is he knew he had a, just a really sharp instinct for how much is too much. If you make three dudes in a movie theater laugh out loud while the rest of the audience is quiet, that's a problem. Because mm-hmm. those three laughs have just said, you don't get this. And you've shut a door doesn't matter what it is. They're out of the movie. Wait, what did I just miss? What happened? Who was that? What? It, where, right, where, where are we right, going, right, right. But if you are in the middle of a thing and everyone is swept up in it and you make people laugh and no one notices that they laughed, you've done it well. It's a delicate, easy balance. If you don't know, you've, if you don't know the, that you've missed it, you're not going to – you don't know you've missed it. But if it's, if it's the kind of reference – that is going to indicate you've missed something that's exclusionary. Mm. And now it's now I'm wait, what do I got to fucking read? Who's this? What is that? But there's nothing about that sequence in 11, 63 that needs a little Stan Lee. Check out Stephen King's it on sale. Now (laughs) (laughs) the adventures of Bev and Richie. You don't need, or not whatever, you know, you don't need that stuff. Um, uh, uh, So he's, he's got an artful deft hand with it for sure. There's nothing about the turtle. Right. And this that that says uh, there's no connected. The the only thing is that it's such a striking image. If you remember it. Oh, shit. It's the turtle. Right. It all connects somehow in his subconscious. I think his interconnectivity stuff is pretty artful. Even he knew when he had gone too far. Like, didn't he fucking blow dairy up at the end of Needful Things? Like, doesn't dairy fucking just sink into the ground? Well, that's Castle Rock. 
but it was the book too, wasn't it? No, no. Castle, Castle okay, Rock is the name Derry. of the town. Right, and sorry, Castle, yeah. Well, I mean, at the end of it, Derry, it breaks essentially because right. Derry and, and uh, the flood like it are kind of in in one and the same, right? So but, but needful things. Whenever, it was very much like I have to blow up the town where all my stuff has happened. Yes. Right. Yes. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah that was a very. Yeah, that, that was Castle Rock. Yeah, and that was very was Castle Rock because they sold that as like the last Castle Rock story and. Right. And all that, yeah. And it wasn't. He's, he's conscious. He's aware <laughs> of it. I think he knows when uh, 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 a little goes a long way. Yeah, he's I'm also delighted. Learned. I'm largely delighted by it until, in, unless I feel like I've been punished. And and he doesn't do that. At no point do I feel like, oh great, now I got to go read this fucking book. Mm-hmm. You know? I think that's. I don't know. I was I'm always in my head about it working at Marvel and DC. Like, how do I, how do I make this a book my parents can read? My parents who haven't read sixty years of X Men comics or whatever. How can I make this inviting to them? Right. You know. Marvel did its own Dark Tower comic series. I'm sure you're well they aware. Did. That's true. Um, yeah. I'm curious that if you got to the end of this series, you know, and the opportunity to present itself, would you have any interest in writing basically a, a spinoff of your own set in Midworld or something? That reality seems so as much for as much time as we spend exploring that area in the Dark Tower series, you know, across mm-hmm. seven, eight thousand pages it feels like there are a bazillion stories to still be told there that may not even necessarily have anything to do with Roland. And, you know, given your position, given who you're working for and, you know, presumably the, uh, the fact that you're going to enjoy the series once it's done, that would seem to be like, I don't know if I were you, I would want to do that. Like, or would you be interested in that? Or would you feel like, I don't want to be stepping on somebody else's dick. Um, I think it's sort of the, the, um, the inspiration that I take would be to, to, to chase after my own dark tower. Mm. Like that's what I feel most when I read these books is this sort of, it's like the joy of watching somebody speeding down a wide open country road in a convertible Mm -hmm. and you think, God damn, I bet that feels good. You know, like that, the sort of the, the thing that I feel most inspired by thus far is, is to what's my dark tower. What, what could I, what am I going to chase in writing for 5,000 pages in 30 years? Mm. You know, my, my, my inspiration is, is a very similar thing to like the Jack Kirby stuff is I, I'm, I'm rather than wanting to do Jack Kirby's stuff, I want to create like Jack Kirby created, you know, my, my inspiration from this thus far has has been much more wanting to write more. Those right. books make me excited to to put more of my subconscious on the page and to fearlessly do it the way that I interpret King is doing it. That sort of bold, ferocious. Tr- he has such a trust in his ability to get where he needs to go. Like him, I re- reread the whole the, the chapter in, on writing last night about plotting. And how kind of anti-plot he is. He just trusts he's going to figure it out and get there. And it'll be like, oh my God, how do you, what? I, I can't, you know, I have, I don't meticulously plot, but I have to know my metaphor is always, listen, if we were going to drive across the country from California to New York and not use a map, if uh, we don't cross the Mississippi in a few days, we've gone the wrong way. <laughs> right, right. Right. We start, we start seeing sombreros. We've gone the wrong way. But you know, so so I'll know. Okay, here's this. There's that. There's going to be a Mississippi over here, and this is going to happen. That's you know. So I have I have some idea, and I suspect he's got some idea like that. But like the kind of 
just to commit to an epic thing like this with mostly blind faith in your ability to see it through is, is yeah. Tremendous. And, you, you know, uh, to the to that point, you know, in reference to uh, the Dark Tower, you know, we know that at a certain point, very early on, when he was very young, he had a basically an outline for the entire series written, and that got lost mm. somewhere along the line or destroyed. And so, one thing I really want to ask King: Should we ever get him on the show? Is how drastically different was that original blueprint versus what ultimately happened? Because you know, there are events that take place within, you know, say the back half of this series that he could not have possibly mm-hmm. been able, you know, real world stuff that's incorporated into the um, sure. the narrative that he couldn't possibly have had planned out when he was fucking 20 years old. You know, so what are we missing? You know, what is that original version? What is missing from the published version from that original version and and vice versa? I'm very curious about the difference between those two things. Yeah, and, I'd love to hear him talk about that. I don't know how much he's actually ever talked about that stuff. I might not my at all as far as I can tell. You know, I've my guess is anything. that it's kind of like um, George Lucas. How like, oh, he had to play and he wrote out the prequels and the sequels and shit. It's like, no, he didn't. He just fucking had rough fucking thoughts of what they would be. Log lines. He, he didn't. Maybe. He didn't. He didn't write a fucking you know. 60 page, you know, James Cameron style, you know, script meant about what the prequels were when he wrote Star Wars. That's not how that worked. And that's what a lot of people think, think he did. Um, I, my guess is that he, he just had an idea because, because this is all kind of based on that, um, that Robert Browning poem, right. Or it's inspired by the Robert (laughs) Browning poem and the imagery and the feel he, he got in his mind when he uh, read that, he knew from the get go it was a journey, right? That it, he wanted to do kind of his own Tolkien thing. He wanted to do, you know, characters on a quest story. Um, so I'm sure he had an idea of what direction they were heading in. But I would be very surprised if he was like, "Yeah, I, you know, my original thought for the the very end of the story was this." And like, I, I doubt it would even be that specific. But uh, but fuck, man, I'd love to love to find out from Norris's mouth. Yeah, I, you know, and even a matter of like, listen, if we're going to drive from California to New York, uh, I've never been to New York, but I could draw it for you. There's big buildings, right. there's a lady with a torch in the water, there's probably some bridges and shit. A lady with mm-hmm. a torch. Right? That's where we're heading there. We're in New York. I'll draw you New York, right? Ask a kid to draw Frankenstein. You're going to get neck bolts, right? Yeah. <laughs> sure, it's just Frankenstein. Someone uh, by that reminded me of the line in Holy Grail where it's like, some watery tot in the in the pond handing out swords. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lady with a sword. that's out there, right? That's out there. Yeah. Is 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 that not New York? The idea of New York, but maybe you don't know what the idea is. But also, you're, you're not, there's no way that a 19 year old plotting out what this would be. He's not married. He doesn't have kids. Mm-hmm. It changes everything. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, um, um, you don't know the stuff you don't know because you don't know it. And, you can still head in that direction. You can still head towards the lady holding the big thing, standing in the water. You'll get there. Like, yeah, sure. That is, I was right. But like, <laughs> you know, New York ain't the opening of night court and <laughs> it's not, <laughs> it ain't taxi driver and it ain't Woody Allen and it ain't was, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, it'd be fascinating to hear, especially now that it is done. Right. Is it? Yeah. I believe that's a question for you guys being, being uh, my my my, uh, my uh, tower sensei is here. Uh, do you think there's another Dark Tower book coming? I predict that we are not done with the Dark Tower. I think that this might be wishful thinking, but I feel like he might have one more thing in him. 
And I don't know what form that might take. I don't know if it's another interstitial novel in the same way that, say, Wind Through the Keyhole was. Or if, you know, the thing I kind of have always wanted to see is um, just a book called Flag. And it's basically an anthology collection of short stories about the various misadventures and misdeeds of, of one Randall Flag. I would fuck I would kill to have something like that. Just a doorstop of a book filled with that guy. All right, that'd be fun to write. That, that, would, that would be fun to write. That would get Could me. Could you imagine? Like, if that's your starting point, you could do whatever you want in whatever world, timeline, dimension you wanted. Like, yeah, yeah. just go fucking bonkers, man. It doesn't even need to have a narrative. It can be all short stories. Like, I would just, I would go crazy for that. And I would consider that sort of an offshoot of The Dark Tower. But I would be surprised if we just never encounter these characters again i think i think stephen king's got he seems pretty hale and hearty he's getting up there in his years but i do think that he's got some time ahead of him and i would be surprised that if he he would wrap his time on stage without without revisiting it somehow yeah when you when you finish this up there there'll, there'll be a conversation to be had about what could possibly happen and be of interest like what what would be interesting for a reader that's obsessed with dark tower to do because i mean there are like short stories where you can get more of like young roland you can get side stories there's like little bits of time that happen uh, between where you are now and the end of the the series that are that aren't like explicitly stated like uh, you know, there there could have been a, a side adventure, you know, between this sure. this book and this book, or this event and this event. Um, there there could be stuff that we've heard uh, hints about in Roland's past that we haven't seen yet. There's a, a a battle from his childhood that that King has said that he's very interested in publicly, and and uh, and that you know that he's felt the draw to maybe revisit that. Um, and it's something that's like an offhand mention in, in uh, the early books. And I think it's, it becomes a little bit more a focal point as you get through the series. Um, but it's, you know, which is essentially the fall of the old ways, right? This is the battle that determines the end of the era of the gunslinger and you know, the knights in, in Gilead. You know, so it could be that. It could be, you know, something, you know, else that I'm, I won't talk about until you finish the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, there's lots of avenues. And King is is very drawn to this and. Uh, but I mean, just the beauty, the beauty of the conceit is that everything he writes is a dark tower book, uh, right. in some way, right. because every, right. cause the dark tower connects everything. The whole conceit of the series is that the dark tower represents the linchpin of all realities. our reality, all worlds, all worlds that exist, all realities that exist have one constant and that's this tower. And this is the thing holding it all together. Um, and that's why, you know, the, the fan service stuff doesn't come off as, as, super fan servicey because it's all baked into the conceit of everything is connected, you know, right away. So anything that you might see from a random nineties book or, you know, a random classic, a character that shows up later, it's like, you know, anything that, that happens within the series can exist within this world of all the worlds that King has created, you know, and that's, what's so impressive about this. And that's to me, what makes it so unique. There's absolutely I, I I'd be shocked if we didn't at least get a short story or something like it just feels like King yeah. can't. It is a literal life's revisit. He's got more. He's got more life. You know, that is true. But, you know, our listeners might not have a much, much more life after <laughs> after this. this is a very long episode. Um, we, we've taken up uh, a, a lot of time. Is there any like kind of closing thoughts you guys might have of, uh, you know, about drawing of the three and about Dark Tower? Uh, 
not would really. be remiss of ending this episode without bringing up. No. I am so grateful that this has given me the opportunity to, in the excuse to dive back into these books. Mm. Uh, uh, I just want to say thanks as a, as a, as a, as a you know, long time listener, first time guest, like uh, uh, this is great. I'm so happy that I'm doing this and I'm enjoying it so much. And and I can't wait to, to see where it goes and where it leads and where it follows. Yeah. And I'm, I am thrilled to be back with the content again. And uh, <laughs> uh, I appreciate that they waited for me. Yeah. You'll well, have to check in with us as you like knock out each book. Yeah, you know, you, uh, just just give us an update. Drop us an email or something, and we'll yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, once you're absolutely. done with the whole thing, we'll bring you back, do a little bonus episode action, kind of a sequel to this for the Patreon, and we'll just the title of the episode will be "So Matt Fraction Finally Finished the Dark Tower Series," and we'll just yeah. we'll just see how you reacted to to all that. I think that would be great. And yeah, this was Fantastic. this was this was this was a blast, man. Um, there is a lot to talk about in this book. I, I feel like you yeah. could go another two hours on this book, but oh, easy, uh, easy. you know, easy. Um, yeah. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to test the patience of our readers. Uh, we want to make this stuff manageable. Um, but yeah, do come do come back and, and let us know how things turn. You out got it. You. It's a date. So this is usually the point in the show where we let our guests kind of plug whatever they got coming up or, you know, talk a little bit about where people can find you on, you know, socials, if you have it, all that stuff. So, so what, this is your time to shine, man. I'm a a commercially suicidal and unsocial on media. I, I, I quit Twitter. Congratulations. Like like in 2016, I've been, I've been off Twitter a long fucking time. So I'm, I'm not social. I'm not on socials anywhere. We're speaking on uh, September the 11th. uh, uh, So I think it's the end of September, beginning of October. Adventure Man 5 will be out. And that's that's currently all the things that are in active publication. Everything else is being kind of made and uh, written and or drawn and planned uh, at the moment. And so let's see, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen just won some Eisner Awards, and that's in a, a, a lovely collection from DC Comics. Uh, I finished a graphic novel cycle called November uh, uh, not long ago. Those are also those are all kind of out during the pandemic. So if you were like me, um, hold up and not going to bookstores, you may have missed them. And if there's ever a time to launch a series of graphic novels, let me tell you, it is a pandemic. Uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> or a Stephen King it's... podcast, I can say that. Yes, <laughs> I was gonna. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but thank thank God for that because it's gonna be something to do, something to listen to. And I understand you can't probably talk about it uh, pretty much at all. So, uh, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah there's a Hawkeye show I'll coming. Out. Yeah, you got a Hawkeye show coming. You must be excited about that. I'm, I'm super, super, super psyched, and um, uh, and I believe, and Marvel's putting out, I believe, a a collection of of the, all of the that I wrote with, with uh, uh, art by David Aha, um, Annie Wu, uh, uh, Javier Polito, Alan Davis, uh, Jesse Ham, uh, and Steve Lieber. I think that was all. I think that and Franco uh, Francisco Francavilla. Um, that was our whole. Um, I know Francesco. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he does some he stuff for Mondo posts. from time to time. Mm-hmm. Good mm-hmm. dude, um, good dude. That Francesco. He's, he's a he great did a Swamp Thing poster. I I have his Swamp Thing poster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that'll that'll be uh, that'll be out around. You know, I think the um, the show is like maybe happening November, December, something like that. I can't. I don't know what the exact date is, but it's some. It's, it's sort of a late fall thing, so it'll be probably out around uh, at that point. Maybe this is a dumb um, question, but how much of it have you seen? None of it. I've, None? I've seen pictures on the internet. Uh, weirdly enough, <laughs> uh, this is this is the funniest, weirdest, magical thing in the world. But they filmed some stuff in a subway. Yeah, 
and uh, it's Clint is there and Kate and this dog uh, come come after him. And a acquaintance of mine who's an academic uh, who wrote a paper in grad school about our usage of sign language in the run happened to be on the train opposite where this filming was happening. That's some small world after all shit. Half asleep. And she wasn't sure if she was dreaming or not. And then she realized (laughs) she very much was not dreaming (laughs) and pulled out her phone. And as the train is and like, sent me this little video, like as much as much as she could get as the train was pulling away. But she's like, I woke up and I was looking at, the characters I had written about for my in grad school. That's um, so, so that was weird. That was funny. That was just bizarre, right? That's some uh, dark tower the, drawing of the three shit right there. Everything's the, all connected, the, man. All the trains and all that town and all the world for her to be in that car <laughs> at that time, that day, right? Um, right? So I haven't seen it other than you know the kind of what 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 has has come out in other media. I've, I haven't seen any of it. Hmm. Um, I was I was uh, supposed to I, I, I couldn't uh, uh, quarantine uh, uh, and pandemic. I couldn't travel, but uh, for for half a second, uh, I was gonna uh, uh, was gonna visit and and it was gonna be on was gonna be in it, uh, but live with an immunocompromised seventy uh, plus year old mother uh, uh, of mine who would love dearly, but also did not want to. to uh, I didn't want to be in the Hawkeye show so much that I gave my mom COVID. So. Uh, uh, so I missed my my shot at um, cameo stardom. I just wanted to get squibbed. That's all I wanted. Just squib me <laughs> up, man. But alas, not not to happen. Yeah, I'd want to get shot by Hawkeye's arrows if I were you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're Do it like uh, the old Errol Flynn Robin Hood style. Get that arrow on a filament. Yeah, just yeah, kind of slowly exactly. moving the screen in a frame. <laughs> yeah. Well, so we're looking forward to that. My wife is particularly looking forward to that because she has the hots for Jeremy Brenner. And, you know, we'll be checking it out when it lands on Disney Plus. Disney Plus been knocking it out of the park with those those shows they're doing. Um, I think uh, I think I'm appreciating more those more than the movies right about now. Um, But to be fair, I also haven't I haven't uh, seen Shang-Chi yet. And I hear that one's really good. Um, Really good. Yeah. Pretty terrific. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today. This was an absolute delight. Say hi to Bill Hader for us, and please come back and uh, let us know how things turned out when you Wild see if your prediction about the ending of this thing is true. Yeah, yeah. Oh, did we actually? I don't remember if we said what my prediction actually is, but I'm I'm predicting it's ending as it started with yes. the man in black fleeing across the desert and the gunslinger following. If that is not in fact the last line. I'll uh, eat my hat. No one get in touch with Matt and tell him if he's right or wrong. I will be very mad with you. (laughs) I will eat a tiny note card drawing of a hat. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Well, thank you so much for being here. This Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. This is a blast. Thank you, Cy, to Matt Fraction for that spirited debate. Debate discussion. Well, there was a debate. We had a lot of of things. Yeah, there was everything. Every door on the beach. (laughs) We we opened on that one. Old doors, new doors, all the doors. A multi-genre app for the KingCast. Yet another KingCast exclusive. Yeah, but Matt was great to talk to, and we look forward to him coming back on the show. I think we'll we'll have him back eventually. I just don't know what it'll be yet. Right, yeah. I'm, I'm particularly curious to hear his continuing adventures along the road to the Dark Tower. I know. Uh, it's it's rare to find somebody who's passionate about these books and hasn't finished them yet and doesn't know what's in store. All right. So here's another thing that uh, we'd like to talk about this week. Uh, the King cast announced a new partnership with the folks over at 
Katet 19. They can be found at Katet, that's K-A-T-E-T-1-9.net. Those folks are a noted retailer of licensed Stephen King merch, and uh, they make a top quality product. We have climbed into bed with these folks and now have a little boutique store set up for KingCast merch within Content 19's overall operation. And people were very excited about the uh, the merch we launched this week, weren't they? They were indeed. We have Chut Buggins represented. We have a poor Gage shirt being as he's staring down a truck with the word charge underneath it. <laughs> you know, very, Which very is worth uh, pointing out that, uh, to my knowledge, no one has purchased that one yet. <laughs> I can't oh, no, imagine I'm, why. Can I, um, I'll be the first. I'll do it. I'll wear, wear yeah. the shit out of that shirt. Someone's got uh, it. Yeah, so I mean, listen, we got logo tees, we got cool like purple and red hoodies, we got uh, an alternate KingCast logo design, which I think is really neat on a yellow shirt, kind of uh, a Shining-esque thing yeah, going on. Yeah. We got tote bags, we got a Chut Buggins beer koozie, got Chut Buggins uh, on a shirt in a very like late 80s style. Uh, we got bumper you know, stickers, a- we got baseball caps, we got butt plugs, all kinds of things beginning with B over there all of that is uh to come we don't have that actually yeah that. not yet but maybe know, next one week. day one day yes and that <laughs> is the that official is another... chet buggins butt plug <laughs> <laughs> it's it's worth pointing out though that the idea here is that these items are not uh exclusive to a time window they're not gonna they're not gonna disappear we want to amass a, a collection that sort of reflects the show as we do it you know you're gonna see you know Specific moments from the show pop up as T-shirts or phrases, stuff like that. Maybe stuff centered on specific guests that we like. We want this to be an ongoing thing. So uh, I think you're going to see some exclusive timed merchandise from our old pal Daniel Danger, uh, which will be a separate thing that will run through his operation. But uh, nothing immediately on the horizon with that. He's got some ideas, but he is also a very busy man. But yeah, this is going to be a sprawling collection, hopefully, by the time everything is said and done. And uh, to anyone who's been asking us when they can get a King Cash shirt, now is the time. That is ka-tet19.net. And look at the top of the page for the KingCast official merch page. Click on that and you'll be taken away to a, a wondrous web page where many pleasures and delights await you. <laughs> so let's talk about the show. We have a, as usual, we have a bonus episode on our Patreon this Friday, and we're going to tease the guest and reveal the title for next week's main feed. Do you want to start off uh, with the main feed? Yes. Scott? Um, I am pleased to announce that next week we are finally getting around to desperation. This is mm. one of the most oft requested titles from, uh, from our listeners and Mm -hmm. someone finally picked it. We're sort of at the mercy as, as to what the guests pick, but, uh, someone finally, uh, someone finally did it. She is a cosplayer of some renowned, a horror fan, uh, a wildly successful owner operator of a, uh, popular only fans page. And what else can I say? She is Australian. I will point mm. that out, but a great guest and uh, had quite a bit to say about desperation. Um, yep. And it was it was sort of a treat for us to to go back and re- revisit that one. We hadn't uh, or I hadn't watched it in, in quite some time. And um, I was glad to. Um, I, I think it was better than I remembered it. Still a little rickety, 
but uh you know there's a little there's, rough there's quite a bit to love in there uh especially that, that is Perlman. true there, there's some really high highs in that that uh mini series from mcgarris and i revisited the book which is the first time i reread desperation since it came out so it was all fresh uh on my mind and uh yeah so we get into it lots of ron perlman appreciation we can oh, say yes. that much tune in next week for that and in the meantime this friday on our patreon we will be joined uh by shutters sam zimmerman to dive into uh chapel weight which is the epics uh, adaptation of jerusalem's lot stephen king short story mm-hmm. uh which is a, itself a prequel to salem's lot yes yeah so, we get in we get into the salem's lot connection we get into the source material we get into the uh, you know, the show itself, uh, we're not all completely in alignment on what we think mm-hmm. of it, which makes the conversation a little more interesting. And there is a lengthy digression in there about secret passages. Uh, like <laughs> yes, you would find in old houses or haunted mansions and what have you. Uh, so yep. any secret passage fans in the audience, this one's for you. Yeah. Crawl spaces. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's uh, that's all the housework that we got. Yeah indeed thank you to everyone who listened all the way through this thing that we know this was a very lengthy episode we will see you next week and some of you i suppose we will see uh at fantastic fest this week all right well i guess we're gonna wrap it up and see all you guys later adios folks the king cast is a fangoria podcast production the show is produced hosted and created by eric vespi that's me and scott wampler tira ansley and abby goel are executive producers Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly.